look, you're not going to get fucking 20 million views on Twitter without going back and playing the hits, all right? a podcast that has recently expressed slight misgivings about the framing of mass deaths in other countries expressed in terms of the relative number of Americans that would be dead if the same percentage of Americans were killed here as foreigners were killed there. On Monday's The Gist, Mike Pesca expressed similar misgivings, but ultimately decided that it must be that he is wrong, because so many other people seem to think this is a useful and meaningful frame. To me, this taking the 1,300-1,400 Israeli slaughtered and running them through the population amplifier is unnecessary, and it actually doesn't tell the story. And this particular calculation, it's always bothered me a bit. For instance, if you told me, oh, my brother just died— And I said to myself, wait, you have three siblings, I have six, so that's like two of my brothers dying. Would it really help me understand what you're going through any better? Every time a tragedy befalls a mass of people in a small country like Ireland, you can say that would be as if 66 times as many Americans had that fate befall them. Two Irishmen fell from a cliff today. Oh my God, that's about 130 Americans falling off a cliff or a crag, if you will. Then you have to do the same thing in reverse. Remember that train crash in India this summer where 296 died? All right, but that would be only like 70 Americans, except it wouldn't. It would be like 296 human beings, family members, souls, stories. The size of the politically defined unit affecting the actual humanity, I don't go in for it in most cases. But I have to say on this one, I appear to be wrong. Not only have I heard many people citing the 40,000 number or the 15 times calculation and citing it in awe and sorrow, they seem to think it communicates quite a lot. They say it to each other and nod their heads and pronounce or at least seem to intuit that it really says so much. I hear Israelis themselves conveying this as a piece of perspective, useful perspective. When Joe Biden said it in Israel, it was well noted in Israel. It was not dismissed. So here's one where the numbers and the use of the population multiplier seems to have added to the story for many people in a way that surprises even me. Noted numbers guy, long-term anecdote skeptic. No, Mike, your instinct was correct. This is actually a pretty messed up way of trying to get people to care about the loss of a human life. It's so messed up that it's long been one of my own awful jokes that a natural disaster in China or India would mean less to me, the awful American, because they have like a billion and a half people over there. So what's a couple of hundred in some small village I've never heard of? That'd only be about 40 Americans after all. 
It may seem useful, because maybe it even is perversely effective, to get people to sit up and take notice by telling them that if what happened in Israel happened here, it would mean 40,000 dead Americans, or to try to convince them to empathize with the Palestinians in Gaza by explaining that 5,000 dead there is like 825,000 dead Americans. Those are shocking numbers, bound to surprise and horrify. But what those numbers really are, those big, surprising, relative numbers, those are a metaphor. They do not represent a single human being. They stand in for no one. They are pretend, and the effect is short-lived, and then easily brushed aside because we're just pretending. After all, the number of Americans who died in Baltimore or New York or San Diego or Kansas City because of Hamas's terror or Israel's retaliation is zero. The metaphor simply slides away because we have taken the life of a single human being and tried to instrumentalize it, tried to weaponize it in furtherance of empathy or terror or whatever. But it is only the human being, dead now, that had value. Not for its ability to shock the conscience, but because that was a person, an individual with all the dignity do it by virtue of its individuated consciousness, by the mere fact of its existence, now snuffed out. If the demise of a human being isn't enough to move you, but the theoretical demise of a human being somewhere in your arbitrary community of 330 million recontextualizes that lost life in a meaningful way for you, then we have not solved or accomplished anything. We have simply identified the problem. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing, I Lori? I'm overwhelmed, and and that didn't help. Lori is overwhelmed, and I'm not helping. What else is new around here tonight? Is Tuesday, October the twenty fourth, twenty twenty three. You have a good weekend, Abe. I I did. Uh... Before I get to that, though, uh, your uh, thing at the top reminded me of, remember, like, during the, the peak of the, the little virus, the COVID that was going around, uh, when when you would have, I don't know, like, three, 4,000 people dying a day, like, at the peak deaths. Right. Yeah, yeah. Were just, like, every day. Was that and, before and or after you declared it over? I think it was uh, a little bit of both. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> jumped, jumped a little there. bit of January uh, 21, a little bit of January 22. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, I, 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 every time I would turn on the news, it, you couldn't go like an hour b- without someone saying, this is like a 9-11 every day, like, or some comparison to 9-11. Like, for some reason, people love the inappropriate context, you know, like, for certain, I don't know what one has to do. One is like a terrorist attack, the other one is just people dying, but. It's also, like, I'd say it more often than I would like to. A surprisingly small amount of people died on 9-11. Right. And actually on 9-11, the like other thing I remember horrible, was... It was horrible, but not because of the number of deaths. Like, that's sad. Right. But initially, the number you... You know, because they're doing the math, like, well, these two buildings have full capacity yeah. and da-da-da-da. Right. They, like, they thought it could be twenty five or 30,000 so people. Many. And, yeah. and you know what they did? I remember this. I, I don't know who it was, but somebody was like, this is on par with the Battle of Antietam. Like, right. the Civil yeah. War. It's like, what is... Like, it is very weird. But maybe with, like, a war kind of reference. I don't know. But 
Well, that You're was right. the I mean, deadliest of this. That was the deadliest battle in the Civil War. Right, but it's just it, like the like you're seeing like oh my god we're all gonna die. There's all these planes crashing, yeah. and then somebody's like oh you know this this is like as if that's gonna give any sort of context. I mean I yeah I get it's like oh this is like a deadly thing, and maybe that's what it is. People are trying to do some sort of like how important is it math that's like not really appropriate because you're doing this weird right, calculation. So it was, was Pearl Harbor. Uh, was was 9/11 1.25 Pearl Harbors, or was it? Right. If we do, we have to adjust for population based on 1940 numbers. No, it's just strict. It's just fact. It's just just American for American. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the percentages yeah. are. Uh, no. 60 years later. No, it doesn't. It's not like inflation. All right. I uh, I. It's funny because, like, my instinct was Pesca's instinct, and I said it on the show last week or two weeks ago that all this talk about it being 15 9-11s or whatever felt icky to me. And I was yeah. like, all right, whatever. Uh, but it is – unlike Pesca – a couple, like more and more weeks of it doesn't it doesn't make me, it doesn't make me reflect like oh perhaps I like that is a like, lot of nine eleven like Principal Skinner am I so out of touch no it's the children who are wrong it is the children who are wrong uh, right it, it's it's <laughs> I guess I am always Principal Skinner in that You're particular always, yeah yeah I, instead of doing some self reflection like well they can't all be right uh, wrong. And, no, they're and, all no. wrong. As a reliable <laughs> position to be in, if you if your instinct is there in the first place, stick with it. But you know what, what's Mike weird Pesca is people Jewish? don't usually reject. Pesca's a Jew, yes, I believe. Yeah, he or, sounds. Is like he Jewish? One. He's like ha- a quarter Jewish, or I don't know. He's because he's Italian. I think it's one drop. I think it's just the one drop. As long as it comes he's from a, the yeah, mother's side, he, he's not just all Italian. Is Pesca Jewish? He's Italian and he's from New York. Oh, you're doing some sort of math. Son of a Catholic and a Jew, so a little bit oh. of both, as I well, as go. I thought. I could feel it. <laughs> He's very much from my idiom in terms of uh, like like the way that he is, the way that he presents. He's much more. New Jersey than I will ever be uh, because he's he's probably proud of it in a way, or yeah he's he's or just not ashamed right. There's no shame. (laughs) Uh. Anyway, I don't think that I'm wrong to object to the way that we do this. I think it is a weird way of trying to understand the loss of human life, and I I again. I already said it, but like if that is the thing that convinces you that something terrible has happened or, or helps you to understand that something terrible has happened, uh, the problem wasn't the way that the news has been presented to you up to this point. It wasn't a failure to communicate on anyone right. else's part. It's a failure on you. You know, um, whenever there's some um, – uh, like with this uh, with this uh, comparisons to like 9-11 and other things or – you know, doing uh, by population, uh, doing the math, like there isn't any pushback against. I mean, you know, Pesca, you know, very tepid pushback, and he kind of went back. You're you're like the lone person now who's still fighting this battle. But most people, when they hear these comparisons, oh, this is like 191111s, they just like nod and like, oh, okay, well, what are that's you su- fine. I mean, what are you supposed to do? But, we went to a thing once at the museum somewhere, and they described yeah. the size of something. Or something yeah. as like thirty elephants standing on top of each other, like I don't know what that looks like. That's not a right. good. I, that's not okay, but it's not wrong. Uh, the, yeah, but right. it doesn't help any. Like it doesn't. Like that doesn't. There's but, no con. Like 
all right, imagine, okay, because every fucking metaphor in American life is like, okay, how many football fields is it, right? Like, yeah, I can do. Right? So, because it used to be, like, it, if 30 years ago, you would always hear uh, how many Olympic-sized swimming pools can no, be filled with some... Is. With some amount of whatever it is. It's like, ah, that doesn't help me. Like, how many bodies fit inside an Olympic-sized swimming field? I it have no idea. But fold. I know what 22 dudes on a football field look like. So if right. if we filled that football field with uh, bodies and then they were all dead, it's like, okay, I can sort of visualize that now. I'm coming to terms with this. Uh, right. I don't know what it helps. But but this is not uh, an apples-to-apples, apples, uh, you know, uh, but you know, in the in the in the recent past, I mean, you still kind of see this now. But there there was this tendency, and it's usually men doing this. Whenever there was something that bad happened to a woman, there always people do this math, or like imagine that was like your sister or your your mother or like some loved one who's a woman. Instead of like, I mean, it happened to her. I mean, that should be bad enough. But there needs to be some this weird math, like how like right. like this. To bridge this empathy gap, to say well, that's it, because uh, what is the end of the a time to kill? The when when McConaughey uh, yeah, gets no, up, no, just and he, he describes this whole awful scene. He's like, "Now imagine she's white." <laughs> like, oh, oh no, right? But that gets that kind of reaction, right? I don't think we'll ever get to a point where people will, are going to push back on the weird, like adjust for for population weird math when something horrible happens. I think it'll just kind of live on forever. Yeah, it it connected for me to this story that I heard on the radio yesterday, and this is a, a slightly oblique connection, but this is just a local uh, NPR hit where they have because you know you have your your national hit, and then they they cut to the local broadcast for two minutes of news or whatever. And this is from uh, from Radio IQ here, uh, the local NPR station in Central Virginia. In general, how much do you think public schools should teach about the ways racism in America's history affects the country today? That was the question posed by the Wasson Center at Christopher Newport University, and the results show that one out of three white people say not much or not at all. Here's Wasson Center Research Lab Director Rebecca Bromley Trujillo. And so I think this is a meaningful conversation, uh, obviously different groups are feeling differently about this issue, although a majority support its teaching, broadly speaking. All right, I'm going to stop it there. It's just the very, that, that one line that she says about how groups feel differently about this notion of how much should we be teaching about racism in our schools. Different groups are feeling differently about this issue. The poll found 29% of white people think that we should not talk about racism in Virginia public schools, that actually tells me nothing about this group, right? Because there's, there is no actual group. Like, I know this is hard for right. people to sort of get their heads right. around, right. but like, there's no, there's no such thing as the white people right. <laughs> who, who think this. Now it might be the case. And this is not me saying that all poll, polling is bullshit. It might in right. fact be the case that literally you could ask every single Virginian, and of those that call themselves white, 29% of that number of Virginians 
believe this way. That doesn't tell me anything about what the group believes or doesn't believe. It's just an arbitrary uh, circle that we've drawn around human beings and then said, here is this group. And 29% of this is not me pretending that race doesn't exist or imagining that there's colorblind. This is there's it's this fundamentally fucked up thing that we do. uh, And then we pretend that it has any meaning whatsoever. All it does is says there are uh, there's a one in uh, less than one in three chance that if I throw a stick at a group of white folks, I can I can then find uh, one out of three of them who will say we shouldn't be talking about uh, racism so much in schools. And then I can have a conversation with that individual. That would be an interesting conversation to have, perhaps. But it doesn't tell me anything about what any one group thinks. The group doesn't think anything. But the framing always comes back around to this batch of black people think this thing and this batch of white people think this thing. And it doesn't it's it's utterly meaningless, but it dominates like I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a huge amount of the way that we talk about everything in this country. And it's completely meaningless. You know what? What's interesting is uh, if you do think about it, uh, you're you're basically accepting as fact certain things, right? That this group that that the pollsters put together is significant somehow, right? So like it's you're not doing any sort of research on that. You're just accepting as fact that the the the, the white respondents they're going to consider something that all the other groups will not. So that that makes them. One right, like, and, and maybe what is that? Maybe there's a second assumption that says that because you know racial history in America is going to point to some negative behaviors by one group of people, right? So like, they're thinking that well, they're going to respond by saying let's not talk too much about that because they may be painted with the same brush. Like, is that another assumption that that's being made? Like, there, there's a lot of heavy lifting to make right. The, the implications point. run deep in every right. single possible direction here right. uh, in terms of even the the asking of the question in the first place, right? But right. like, I mean, I it's it's so fucking facile and stupid that I have to say it over and over again or feel like it it is a meaningful statement to make, but like. Figuring out that some percentage of uh, one arbitrarily defined group think a certain thing actually tells me nothing about any one individual in that group, right? It has told me it and revealed literally nothing about a person that I might encounter in the world. So what what is the use of it? And it's like it doesn't even matter what the thing is because like it, it – it, like literally what do i do with that what am i expected to learn from it how am i expected to change the way that i am in the world or how is it supposed to better illuminate my understanding of the world and i don't think it ever really does because it doesn't right. actually speak to the individual reality of anyone that goes for uh, whether it's test scores whether it's trying to determine uh relative intelligence by by whatever arbitrary lines we want to draw around that like no matter or 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 crime statistics right you can fudge with crime statistics in however way you want to do it uh right. this week i saw a couple of different uh, articles going around about how we've historically fucked up the way that we count violent crime and we've overcounted for the amount of black crime so called that the breitbarts and the tucker carlsons of the world like to to wave about but even 
uh, even granting them the thing that they say, which is like uh, black males between the ages of 15 and 35 represent some 4% of the American population, but they commit some awful disproportionate percentage of the violent crime in this country. Do you know what that tells you about an encounter with a single black right. male in the street? It tells no. you absolutely no. nothing. Right? Right. It, and it shouldn't change the way that you are in the world. It can't fundamentally change anything about the way that you see the world. And the fact that it does reliably for a lot of these people proves that even uh, messing about with this sort of stuff does more harm than good. What if uh, you did it another way? Let's say you didn't come in with any uh, assumptions as fact, right? Like you came in like this, like there's just all this data and then you can do groupings that you can make up. Uh, or you can use some of the standard groupings. So, like, if you did, if they did grouping by age, and it was noisy, like every age group was just like you can't, not, nothing stands out. You did groupings by gender and noise again. You can't really tell anything. Nothing is, you know, there's no real sharp difference. And then if you, they did like group it by race, and everybody is like two percent against. And then, like, this one group was 29%. Like, would you in that case then say, well, this stood out? Like, when we did all of these other groupings, there was no real difference between an 18-year-old person and a 50-year-old person or whatever, depending on the, the question. But when you group it in this other way, like, let's say by gender, like, man, the man have this weird opinion on women that, the, you know, that's not true the other way. Like, then can you draw significance if you do it like honestly that way? I don't way, know. It, it, have, it would have to be some sort of very particular question and you'd have to tell me what it is that we're going right. to do. Like, right. what, well, okay. What? So in this example, it, are, are the other groups, are they like down like a 1% or something? Is like white the only group that's like above 20%? That's like, wow, this group stands out. But because if everybody has like 22 or 8, even if right. it was like... So I'll, I'll, I'll just go ahead and finish the report because it's only another 30 seconds long. Black voters and women were more likely to say schools should teach about racism, while white voters and men were more likely to say they shouldn't. There's also a gender gap here. So women are more likely to say that we should teach about racism. 42% say a great deal uh, and 34% of men say a great deal. Overall, 69% of Virginia voters say schools should teach about racism, while 28 percent say that's not really an appropriate topic for the classroom um, michael pope so the answer seems to be that uh one of the other differences is between men and women and it's a difference right. of all of six percent which right. is largely meaningless and they they gesture at the fact that uh if you break it down by the other demographics then uh there will be more uh black people who think we should talk about racism than white but, people but, but they don't give the specifics so, so when they isolate for white, is twenty nine percent opposed, and then when you do overall, is twenty eight percent opposed? Yeah, like that's not really. A, I mean, right? I mean, so like that wouldn't really tell you anything. If you if you lead with it, then it's going to seem one way. But like if the if you group everybody, all Virginians together, and it's twenty eight percent against, and then let's say West Virginia was like fifty percent against, does can you say oh West Virginia is one way and Virginia is another? Uh, because like, if you just isolate for white and it's only one point off from the overall group, then that's not really – I mean I'm not a statistician, but like that seems like not very significant. Right. You have learned nothing uh, right. <laughs> except, in the, except in the way that you framed it. Yes. Uh, that's the way that the narrative has been built here. Uh, then it becomes a Ouija board exercise, right? Oh, what's this? 
Right, as what? all statistics are, and this isn't even statistics. This is this is just some fucking polling, which yeah. is only which is only conducted to get exactly this sort of a response. Like, what is right. the other plausible reason for why this sort of polling would even exist in the first place? Uh, besides, like, I don't know this this sort of scoldy report from right. uh, the local NPR station. Whatever, I don't. I, again, it's a it's a maybe it's a bit of a stretch to connect it to the other thing that I'm complaining about. But what you're doing there is you're taking this 29% of white Virginians who allege that they don't want to talk about racism in the classroom. And also, what does that even look like? Like, right. do, do those same 29% say we shouldn't talk about the fact that Thomas Jefferson held slaves? Like, I doubt right. it. I think that they would probably say, no, nah, just teach the history. It's fine to teach the history, but just right. don't talk about, like, whatever. Again, now we're playing fucking mind-reading games with this whole fucking thing. None of it matters. The point being that they, they, they've, they've metaphorized the right. Uh, individual into something else they're inventing these people the, they're inventing there, there's some way that the humanity is sucked right out of it anytime the sociologists get involved that drives me fucking crazy uh and I, i'm doing a poor job of explaining how this relates to the other thing but whatever but you know uh like if, if you asked and you know another question and if we'll just like would you be in favor of of teaching the like unvarnished truth of American history, or like without like adding anything more? You'll get like somewhere in the high eighties, low nineties. Like yeah, like of course, teach right. the truth. It's not like colored somehow, so to speak. Where you're because they're probably thinking like, is this like, are you trying to do that uh, some sort of woke? And, like I don't know what the kids are thinking, but like when you word it in that way, or if you group it uh, in this way. Uh, you're going to try to draw some conclusion that's not necessarily there. Tucker Carlson, and this is uh, in the in the same vein. Uh, this past week, released an episode of his uh, his Twitter show where he said everything that you. Well, oh, that show fell off a cliff. Like, have you heard of his show since no, like that's the, first the first time, time he was there? I've heard it mentioned? Since the first time I heard it mentioned, I totally forgot about that. Well, let's uh, let's pull it up and see no. how many. No, I'm not going to play it. I just want to. Let's see, his most recent episode of his show. Let's see, he's got 10.5 million followers on Twitter or X. He had episode 33 about how America is planning on going to war with Iran. That has 6.5 million views or so. Um, let's see, going back to the George Floyd story that I'm going to talk about here. That has 20 million views. So people are still watching it. Uh, okay. I don't know what it means in terms of reach. I don't know what. Well, his reach is not, he, he's never like kind of referenced, you know, like. Yeah, a, he's not part of the cultural conversation anymore right, in a way that right. is significant. That is certainly the case. Right. Uh, I'm only bringing it up because it, I feel like it connects here a little bit, which is just. Why are you trying to make everything connect all the time? Sometimes things can just be. Sure. All the pieces right. fit, Lori, well, you this... should know. Like all the pieces fit. Just like Tucker that's insists. why your book that's why you never finished that interesting book because you try to make everything connect. You're absolutely right. I have huge just problems it, of of wanting just let things be what they are. Of trying to explain literally the whole world with every perfect sentence. It's a it's a yeah, massive it's not, problem. It's uh, not doable. Tucker not like that. Tucker was talking about how we don't know uh what really happened with George Floyd. Uh, this week, he says, uh, you probably believe that a man called George Floyd was murdered by a man called Derek Chauvin. 
uh, because you're a fucking idiot. You've been hypnotized by the mass media. Uh, what actually happened is that he had a uh, horse's dose of fentanyl in his system at the time. He died of a drug overdose that happened to coincide with the police officer <laughs> kneeling on uh, George Floyd's neck for, what was it, 11 minutes, 9 minutes, something like, like that? Yeah, 9 minutes. By, by the way, he, he's uh, presenting this information as new. Like, wasn't this bandied about for, like, a brief period? Look, you're not going to get fucking 20 million views on Twitter without going back and playing the hits, all right? <laughs> he knows his audience. Again, as you're saying, we knew this about George Floyd, that he had a great deal of drugs in his system and had a, a drug problem. My response to Tucker, and this is not about having an actual response to Tucker, but the obvious response to Tucker is like, so what you're telling me is that a man had a fatal dose of fentanyl in his system, and what the cop did was kneeled on his neck for nine minutes instead of administering life-saving aid? And you think this exonerates right. the police officer. That's what you're telling me. Okay. So, I mean, uh, whatever. But, 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 but that's, that's the weird thing. Okay, not only does he have a terrible argument that he's trying to make, uh, why is he making it? Like, what, what prompted this in October 23? Like, why do you... It's because it's, it's, him. it's of a piece with everything else that he says, which is that you can't believe anything that you see in the media. That no matter even what, what you're seeing, like because this was recorded, even the thing the that you're seeing the- has been manipulated or force fed to you in such a way that you cannot possibly see the truth of the situation, even when it's right in front of your face. That's how dumb and stupid Tucker believes the American people are, which is fine. I. I, I only bring it up, and I've probably, in my head, whatever connection was there, completely lost. But it's because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Both things can be there. It's okay. You can be right about two different things. I guess you, you kind of already answered it by saying, like, this goes uh, to his larger theory of, like, don't believe anything. The media is so duplicitous that they would make up something like this. Like, just drive a narrative that they want for whatever purposes they want. But, like... Is that the only like angle that he's got? Does he have some vested interest? I don't know. I did not like... watch. I did not watch even the thirteen-minute video that he okay. put together. I, I do it's, not. It's just very bizarre. It's like out of left field. If you told me, like, guess what Tucker's talking about on the latest whatever Twitter or X thing, I would have guessed something like the speakership race or Israel right. or right or the, the the hospital issue, but not like remember like three years ago that thing. Yeah. Well, it does connect to the very next thing I want to talk about, which is the bombing of the hospital in Gaza or the explosion at the hospital in Gaza, because a lot of what gives Tucker Carlson his awful power, which uh, whatever power you think that is, I I think that Tucker Carlson's power is is awful and it is precisely in line with the Alex Joneses of the world. It's precisely in line with whatever some fucking psychotic hairdresser, uh, not my wife, but some other psychotic hairdresser, believes they've learned about the world by uh, exploring TikTok uh, videos and and having the world explained to them uh, in that fashion, which is a a complete and total failure of our institutions to convince us uh, to trust them, and uh, uh, specifically 
media and government institutions uh, in both of these cases. And this is like the responsible media too, right? You're not – it's not just some Yahoo online. It's like this is the responsible media that's been doing this for some time that's got the brand recognition. We came on the show last week because I, I had been on my way to baseball practice last Tuesday when I got a notification on my phone that Israel had bombed a hospital in Gaza and 500 people were dead. Yeah. That was that was the thing that came into my phone from the New York Times, the Washington Post. Everywhere, uh, right? B- yeah, AP. BBC News. Everyone had that as the framing of the thing. And by the way, when I'm consuming it in that fashion, which is just like literally getting out of my car – and pulling my phone off of the dock in the car, looking at what's come in in those 15 minutes since I was last looking at my phone, as I walk, as I put it in my pocket to walk to the baseball field, the thing that I'm getting in my head is not its not any of the nuance. It's not any of the uh, underlying thing. It's just I'm a person who's busy, and in this literally 30 seconds, this is the news that I'm taking in. The news that I'm taking in is Israel bombed a hospital in Gaza, and 500 people are dead. Women, children, doctors dead because Israel dropped a bomb on a hospital in Gaza. Right, and and to be clear, I don't think I read one of those uh, headlines that came to my phone uh, that that was like, kind of vague, unconfirmed reports of explosions near hospital. Like, And then like another article comes maybe like an hour later to give more content. Like, it just opened with five – it was like a weird like even number, round number. Like 500 people, Israel did this in Gaza hospital. Like an hour like, ago, right? Like it yeah. just happened. Yeah. And we know – and these are all of the things that we know. And right. the, the New York Times headline said uh, 500 dead at hospital in Gaza – or Israel bombs hospital in Gaza, 500 dead, comma, Palestinians say, right? So that was their that was their mealy-mouthed sort of way around the situation, is that they attributed it in the headline to Palestinians. Right. And then we let off the show, and it had only been a few hours at that point, but already there was pushback, right? There was already some pushback from the Israelis saying, whoa, 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 that's not what happened. We didn't do that. Uh, but none of the none of the facts on the ground had been firmly established yet, right? Now at this point, uh, by the way, I'm going to talk as though a more authoritative version of facts has come out. You can find online in relatively reputable places a continued insistence, including from some Congress people in the United States Congress right now, that Israel is responsible for what happened here. And not in some like oblique backwards way, but like they literally dropped the bomb. Not like uh, uh, Israel started the ball rolling down the hill and now there are 500 dead Gazans at a hospital. No, in fact, they're still attributing it to uh, a missile strike by the Israelis. Based on nothing, right? Based At this point, uh, the uh, U.S. intelligence assessment has come out. It confirms what Israel has uh, was suggesting all along. The uh, most reputable news organizations have now gone ahead and said it doesn't look like Israel did this. And in fact, it was a uh, a misfire by uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad uh, that uh, because it had so much fuel on it and it was planning on on going many miles away when it landed in this parking lot next to the hospital, which, by the way, didn't uh, explode into the hospital, didn't level the hospital. The hospital still stands. There was just a giant fireball in the parking lot, and some people died. And of course, 
That's awful. Uh, and then you push, then you see some pushback on that, on this idea that Israel, that, hey, guys, maybe we shouldn't have been quite so quick to spread this sort of story where uh, Israel bombed the hospital. And the pushback is, well, but there are 500 dead people. And I think that that matters. And uh, forgive me for getting upset and flustered in a moment uh, where there are 500 dead people. It's like there's not even the right. first consideration that, well, wait a second. If they were lying about the fact that the hospital was uh, leveled and they were lying about the fact that it was Israel, maybe there's not actually 500 dead Palestinian right, yeah, right. women I mean, and like, children you- and doctors. Right. Why are you still clinging to the, the – the, it's all coming from the same source. And like two out of the three things that they've said are not true, but you're still clinging on to that third item, and, it, and it's not clear why. By the way, um, not only – like not, the more you think about it, the worse it kind of gets because like not only did they just kind of accept as fact – whatever Hamas told them, right, or whatever they sent out through the, their press release or whatever. Not only did they accept that, they didn't even, like, give the impression that Israel did this by accident, right? Like, it was just kind of like, like, it kind of gives the impression that it was a targeted strike. Right? Israel, doesn't, like, Israel doesn't do anything by accident. They are right. one of the most advanced militaries in the world. They could fucking hit a golf ball off a golf tee from 500 yards with their missiles. What are you talking about? Right. But, yeah, so, like, so you would think that, even if there were 500 people at that parking lot that died, I mean, that, that it just strains credulity for that to be the case. But, like, even if there w- that was the case, you still have a duty to correct the original reporting. You can't just say, yeah, but still. Like, the impression left, and there was a lot of consequences that came from that impression, was one way. And now, as more information comes to light, it's the, exact, like, it's the opposite. And so, like, it's, it's important that you at least clean that up. Like, that's important. It's hugely consequential. This happened, as we said last week, as Joe Biden was basically getting to uh, the place over there. The plan was to meet with uh, leaders from Jordan and uh, Egypt and yeah, and Abbas, the West uh, Bank guy. Right. And they all called that off because in part because the BBC and the New York Times were reporting that Israel had just bombed a hospital in Gaza. And it's one thing for the crazies in the Middle East to be telling all of their people that uh, Israel is full of wanton fucking psychopaths who bomb hospitals. But it's another thing when the BBC and the New York Times does it. And then and then those people like, of course, the leaders of those countries are like, well, we can't meet with Biden now. The New York Times says that uh, Israel bombed a fucking hospital and 500 Gazans are dead. And they're all and it's all reliant upon, as you pointed out, when you talk about the Palestinian health authorities, those are people who work for Hamas. Hamas right. is the governing authority in Gaza, and anything that you hear out of so-called official channels there is coming from Hamas, which is the organization that uh, start, that 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 killed twelve or fourteen hundred Israelis uh, just two weeks before. This is not a good faith organization. They're not operating anything like good faith. And then you go on to say, uh, again, it drives me nuts because it. It discredits when you say in your headline, Palestinians say that this is the thing that happened. You've now inextricably linked in the minds of the audience Palestinians with this claim, which is a claim that's made by Hamas. And we are supposed to, part of our project here is to separate the Palestinian cause from the Hamas government, right? The Hamas is a terrorist organization that believes in wiping Israel off the face of the planet. 
and does these awful fucking uh, attacks on uh, small Israeli villages where whole fucking families are slaughtered in front of each other and, and, and 1,400 people are dead, including 300 people dancing at a fucking rave in the middle of the desert, right? We're supposed to keep these two things distinct in our minds. And the New York Times has an article where they cite the Palestinian authorities and Palestinian people over and over and over again, when what they mean is that a Hamas spokesperson told them that, right? right. That's what right. they mean. This is, and, and what it does is that demolishes any trust that I might have in anything that I read moving forward when it says, dot, 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 comma, Palestinians say. What the fuck does that mean if in the very first instance of it, what it meant was this Hamas asshole told it to you and it turned out to be a complete fucking lie? You've done that, New York Times. This is not something that I've done. You have done that in the way that I understand the world because of the way you did the framing here. You know, uh, I would I would feel like uh, self-conscious if, if I were in the decision-making loop at these different uh, uh, news outlets because, like, it almost kind of reveals... If you were in the decision-making loop, you wouldn't be a person who gets self-conscious is the problem there. I guess maybe that's true because, like, this reveals, like, a certain prejudice, right? My my theory uh, is that, like, nothing is more scrutinized than, like, information that runs counter to what you believe, right? So, like, if information comes in... And I had, like, you know, Peyton Manning saved, like, a bunch of people. Like, no, no, fuck that. I need more information. I need, like, all the confirmation in the world for me to believe a story like that, right? And then the opposite is true. Like Abe Abe sees uh, Peyton Manning through a touchdown, and Abe's like, "Ah, I was a fucking flea flicker, wasn't it? That's that's not what happened. Yeah, like, I was discarded, right? And then the opposite is true. Like, nothing is least... Uh, like nothing is uh, scrutinized less than information that comes in that runs exactly along with what you believe, right? So, like, when the information came, what effort was made to confirm anything, right? It seems like, I mean, if you clocked it, like, when the decision-making people got that information that there was an attack at some hospital by Israel, according to, to Hamas, how much back and forth took place before they said, push, go, right? I bet you it wasn't along, and if, and if that's the case... I mean, yeah, obviously there's pressure to be competitive with other outlets because they got the same information. But, like, if you kind of bypassed a few things that you otherwise would not, that reveals a certain prejudice that you have, that you're so willing to believe the information that came in. And so you would think that would be another area. Is an episode of the newsroom about this. (laughs) Was there a. Is this where that somebody died? Like uh, it's the, the Gabby Giffords episode. Gabby yeah, Giffords, sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, well, you need we need Aaron Sorkin to be running things. Yeah. When I read in the article that is attempting to clean all of this up, uh, I think I read it yesterday or the day before. It, it was their first big stab at saying, "Boy, a lot of new- this is the New York Times." I'm referring to a lot of news outlets out there including the New York Times, uh, sort of got out in front of this one a little bit and didn't didn't uh, seem to have all of the facts right. And then they go on in that article to cite Palestinians over and over again in terms of over 5,000 uh, deaths have occurred so far in Gaza, according to Palestinians. Like Now, you're doing that in the article where you are cleaning up the mess that you made when you said that Israel bombed a hospital and 500 dead Palestinians happened. What what am I supposed to take from that? How do I know, as a consumer of the news, as just a dummy at the end of a computer or a newspaper, 
how do I know to believe that 5,000 number now? Because right. the, you're framing it in the exact same way that you framed the 500. What does that mean? How, do, uh, how was that gathered? Who are your sources? Show me the fucking bodies. Like, that's, that's what I end up going to. That's not a healthy place to be in. And this is, by the way, this is how people make it to fucking Tucker Carlson. This is how people get to uh, watching conspiracy garbage on, on TikTok and coming away with, I'm getting something closer to the real story now because I know that I've been lied to by the New York Times and the BBC over and over again. And I don't I don't I, I still maintain foolishly perhaps that the best way to understand the world is to read the New York Times and the Washington Post uh, and the BBC. Like and and yeah, uh, apparently that makes me a complete fucking moron. But at the same time, I see somebody uh, like uh, Max Blumenthal who runs a site called The Gray Zone News on Twitter and he's uh, out here talking about how He's tweeting about how uh, the the Hamas released these old Israeli grandmothers, right? So they had taken a couple of hundred people hostage, and now they've uh, released a couple of these grandmothers in exchange for whatever they think they're going to get out of it. Largely, it's just a propaganda thing where they, they show these old ladies and show how they're in uh, still uh, good health, and then they are like – uh, receiving uh, uh, cups of tea from their masked captors, and then as they are led away, they shake the hands of the person who's been holding them hostage for the last two weeks. And this is supposed to show the humanity of the Hamas terrorists. If you find yourself being a, a willing propagandist for Hamas in in this scenario, like where you're like, "Gee, what, look at look at how humane the Hamas people are being to these old ladies," you've kind of lost the fucking thread a little bit, right? So like, right. I'm sorry, I still maintain that uh, reading the New York Times and the BBC and, and getting a whole picture from the mainstream media gives me a slightly better understanding of the world than if I go with some of these alternative news sources that seem to me to just be in league with the people who, who did this three weeks ago when they went into Israel and butchered a bunch of people. But because right. like, They've released a couple of grandmothers and, and this friendly video was put out. Like now now we're supposed to believe that they're the good guys here. Right. It is weird because the the, the it's such a transparent move, right? I mean you're 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 taking people as hostages and then you're releasing them one at a time, two at a time. You're keeping like the husband and you're releasing the wife, like and it's all happening in front of everyone's eyes and you're still buying it. Like it's like I mean the whole scheme is like right in front of you. It's, it's, it's weird. But that this would... is this is the true truth of what's going on here, and and right. everything else that we're reading is the wool being pulled over our eyes. Do you know how right. fucking stupid you have to be to believe you're that smart? Like right. holy shit! All of the all of this bad behavior by the comp- the the media outlets that you believe should know better, like the New York Times, you know, NPR, all these other outlets, when they keep on making these weird mistakes, what what it does is it creates like the, this trust deficit, right? Like where people like just don't trust you as much. And which is rational, right? Because if you make some mistakes and sometimes it doesn't seem like they're mistakes or deliberately kind of like misleading. Uh People Why say, doesn't that translate to the psychotics on Twitter and and the because Alex Joneses of the world? They don't have a history Why of anything. Why in the world does the New York Times have to be right ninety nine times out of one hundred to garner? Because uh, they are an institution where a person like Alex Jones or Tucker Carlson or whoever the fuck on Instagram or TikTok, they don't. They aren't saying we are a credible institution. They're like, I am just a person who knows. They don't have to be right at all. No, because that's they're just that's saying they're a person who knows. But, 
But the thing is that they're doing different things. So, like, yeah, all of these news companies, like, they actually do reporting. They have bureaus. They have reporters. They got all of these different uh, resources available to them to to report on the news. Like, and when they lose ground on trust, the people go to pe- to analysts, right? The color the news that these other companies report, right? So it's not like Tucker Carlson is doing any investigative reporting, right? He's just like, I read this thing on Reuters, right? And here is my angle, right? And so obviously people who believe in that angle are going to gravitate to him and then others will gravitate to other, to other people. So like no one who doesn't like those people like visits them for the most part. I mean, unless you're like one of these hate viewers, but like with the New York Times, the standard is higher. So people like, hold you to the standard where it's like, if you fuck up, then I'm not going to trust you. And I'm going to go with somebody who doesn't even strive to be honest. It's just like, they just have a point of view that they're trying to promote. So they're kind of, so, this probably has absolutely nothing to do with what happened in this country since 2015 or 2016 or so. Does it certainly, certainly no relation whatsoever to the trumpeting in any way. <laughs> I, I think it's a combination of the uh, trumpeting and, and the social media algorithmic, turn you know i think there was like what 40 states or something or there was a some news report that came out today on tuesday where all these different attorneys generals uh attorneys general are suing meta because of the impact that their schemes have had on kids right and so there's like this broad support to go after them i mean maybe they have different motivations but like i think that also played a role where like the information that gets in front of your eyes is like the most like the crazy nonsense stuff Right. Um, I'll read from this uh, editor's note that the New York Times put out in uh, relation to their coverage of the hospital in Gaza. On October 17th, the New York Times published news of an explosion at a hospital in Gaza City, leading its coverage with claims by Hamas government officials that an Israeli airstrike was the cause and that hundreds of people were dead or injured. The report included a large headline at the top of the Times website. Israel subsequently denied being at fault and blamed an errant rocket launch by the Palestinian faction group Islamic Jihad, which has in turn denied responsibility. American and other international officials have said their evidence indicates that the rocket came from Palestinian fighter positions. The Times' initial accounts attributed the claims of Israel responsibility to Palestinian officials and noted that the Israeli military said it was investigating the blast. However, the early versions of the coverage and the prominence it received in a headline news alert and social media channels relied too heavily on claims by Hamas and did not make clear that those claims could not immediately be verified. The report left readers with an incorrect impression about what was known and how credible the account was. The Times continued to update its coverage as more information became available, reporting the disputed claims of responsibility and noting that the death toll might be lower than initially reported. Within two hours, the headline and other text at the top of the website reflected the scope of the explosion and the dispute over responsibility. Given the sensitive nature of the news during a widening conflict and the prominent promotion it received, Times editors should have taken more care with the initial presentation and been more explicit about what information could be verified. Newsroom leaders continued to examine procedures around the biggest breaking news events, including for the use of the largest headlines in the digital report, to determine what additional safeguards may be warranted. And that is their last word on the situation. Uh, which is a perfectly fine uh, recap of what happened and doesn't strike me as taking real responsibility for anything. I think uh, 
the the breakdown was was perfect. The, the only thing that it was missing is just at the very top, just started with we got it wrong, right? It's like you need to kind of give the big picture, like we got it wrong, and like then these are correction. all the different steps. What right. if yeah, just, what if just, inside their newsroom and and among their readership constituency? It's not acceptable to say we got it wrong because uh, doing so violates an emotional truth about uh, who is at fault here. Is that right. is that a plausible reading of 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 this situation? I wonder. I mean, I think that op- I didn't think even think about that potential roadblock, but like I don't even think they even sent it up the flagpole. Right? They probably just said we're not going to take full responsibility like we 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 said said we tagged something at the very end of the headline and like we made a few minor mistakes but it's not a big big enough to say like we got it wrong but like you're right i didn't even think about that what if somebody did say well this runs counter to what i want it doesn't this is what i was saying to you earlier i don't know yesterday is it just tuesday fuck okay if the newsroom is full of a bunch of like palestinian sympathizers or something but like the New York Times is all run by Jews. How does right. who wins? It's not, it's not run by Jews. I, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of Jewish people at the top of the organization. <laughs> it's I, the catch, Jew Bob. York Times, no? <laughs> that's, 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 <laughs> isn't that a thing? I don't know anything. It's just uh, like in my fucking, head, people fucking, are like the New York Times that. Liberal Jewish rag, you know. I know what's in Lori's TikTok algorithm. It's a I bunch don't of have TikTok. I'm, no, Tucker. but I'm asking because why are both weird little stereotypes like are both are those both stereotypes? And if so, who There's wins? Plenty of there are plenty of uh, as we've seen on college campuses and other uh, major United States and Canadian I'm not cities. Talking about college campuses, I'm talking about the actual New York Times. Right, I, I'm wonder- talking about the fact that there are any number of young that that the correlation between Palestinian sympathizer and not has more to do with one's age than it has okay. to do with one's Jewishness. Given uh, that ultimately. we're the New York Times, we have a bunch of young people who are anti-Israel and a bunch of owners of the newspaper who are very pro-Israel. You're just describing the dynamic of sort of the modern Democratic Party. But I'm talking about the actual New York Times. No, I know, but you are also – it is a dynamic that plays out across the entire political spectrum, which is that you have in the Republican Party a bunch of people – uh, who are wildly supportive of the state of Israel because of their sort of weird, in part because of weird evangelical Christianity beliefs that they have, and in part because they're fucking neocons at the top of the yeah. of the Republican Party. So that's a weird marriage of interests. That's interest. what I said to you when this whole thing started. But also among the Republican constituency are the Tucker Carlson types, yes. are, the, are the Donald Trump types, who are much more skeptical of such things. In fact, Trump's... First reaction to what happened in Israel was to blame Netanyahu right. for not being supportive enough of Donald Trump. Right? But that's like how that, it all goes. It's everything is back to him. Like if you didn't support him, he's against you. Not like because of right. some statement he's trying to make yeah. on the actual situation. But I'm asking you a question but, about but Lori, the New York Times. So the the dynamic like at a university would be like you have people that view things a certain way, like the, the leadership. And then if students – like I always think the lo- – I mean Bob may have a different view, but like the loudest side will get their way. So like in, in the New York Times, uh, 
newsroom, if the uh, uh, the people that run things uh, see it one way, and then there's like one person like that said like, well, you know, some emotional truth scheme, right? And they make like a lot of noise, like. You, you, you couldn't just dismiss them because then that becomes its own story. Like they, they, I don't know. They, that drunk guy from the newsroom would come in and yell a lot, <laughs> and everyone would do it his way, I think. Right. I think that the, the, those days are past. The Salzburgers are Jews, right? Like the guy who the, – the family that runs the New York Times for time immemorial is a Jewish family. Yes, you're right that – it is that case, and also there is probably a, a youngish contingent of New York Times staffers who would be uh, disproportionately pro-Palestinian and anti-Israel. I don't see that. And you're saying that their what they want to run to print would end up winning rather than what the owner of the New York Times would want? I'm not trying to challenge you. I'm asking an actual question. Yes, I'm saying that the newsroom is its own entity, and Salzberger, though he can pipe up and say what he wants to say from time to time, it's a it's a beast of its own volition okay. at some point. That's what I was trying to get it the, earlier this week yes, when we the were talking money, about the, it, and sorry, you weren't listening the, to me. The moneyed Jews who own things don't actually run the world is my response <laughs> to the thing that you are saying. That just because uh, A.G. Salzberger is a Jew doesn't mean that he dictates the way that the uh, New York Times newsroom covers events yeah. in Israel. Okay, and I, I, all I was saying was that, like, it puts, it, it's awkward for people. That's all. Yeah. Anything else to say about Israel this week? I know it's sort of dominated the show now. No, three weeks I've been running. Waiting to hear about Abe's weekend since we uh. started four <laughs> hours ago. Is it? Is it of note? That there has yet to be a ground invasion, that uh, the Biden trip out to see uh, – Out to see. Out to see Bibi and the rest of the Israelis, uh, it was described as a as a bear hug in which uh, uh, Joe Biden tightly pulls Netanyahu into him and says, we're here, we're with you, but also uh, let's not do anything too rash. Like right. go – Don't be like uh, us. Don't go uh, – into a, a ground invasion into Gaza. Is this just uh, prudent on behalf of the Israelis that they have not yet done this? Uh, do we think that, I mean, this is all, we're only barely three weeks into this at this point. Uh, right. It already has felt to me that there's been a little bit of a turn away from they're going to do whatever they're going to do and it's going to be justified, right? Because that's just the nature of an incessant uh, bombing campaign that's gone on over the last couple of weeks. Uh, people are going to grow uh, less forgiving of that sort of an instinct. And without a clear plan as to what the future would look like, uh, what does sending 100,000 or 300,000 Israeli soldiers into Gaza actually accomplish uh, right. besides a great deal of pain and, and suffering that would be looked at as Israel's fault. Uh, whether that's fair or not, the perception would eventually turn in most people's minds uh, to that fact. So. Right. There, there was a uh, some story that just came out like either on Monday or on Sunday. Like it was just a quick story that kind of came and went. And it was like some, one of these like sources say the Biden administration does not believe Israel there's any achievable aims with an invasion, right? Like, so they could, it could be like a quagmire situation. Like they'll go in and like Hamas is kind of like a whack-a-mole outfit, right? So it's not like they're like 
there's like 20 of them and they're I and mean, you get get all 20 and then you can unfurl the mission accomplished flag right right they're like everywhere and nowhere right so like what does success look like if you're going to go into this like an actual ground invasion like what does winning look like and if you can't answer that then like what it, what are you getting yourself into right because like whatever uh momentum you have in trying to prosecute this war like if you're like six months into this and it's still constant coverage of like this person's getting bombed and an actual hospital will eventually be bombed right uh by accident uh like you're gonna lose that pr kind of like if this drags on and like you can't say we we will have won if this happens like you need to answer that question like what is this if we take Hamas's actions to be motivated and and executed by Hamas rather than by some external set of forces, and so we understand this to be essentially a, su- a suicidal act by Hamas, perhaps because they just gave up on running Gaza, they're fucking tired of it, uh, which which is as plausible an, ex- an explanation as any that I've heard, that like they haven't been getting anywhere and running a government fucking sucks and being jihadists is just right. sort of more fun right. and like <laughs> fuck it uh so if we if we understand the attack 3 weeks ago as that uh, sort of final suicidal act that is motivated by a desire for the Jews to drop the mask right because you could sort of understand the Israeli government position on Gaza for the last whatever it is 18 years or something, 15, 18 years as being, uh, the, the phrase that they use is mow the lawn. We're going to mow the lawn in Gaza. We're going to any, any obnoxious terrorists that pop their weedy little heads up, we will take out. Uh, but for the most part, we're going to, uh, leave it alone. We're not going to fuck with them anymore. Uh, we'll still enforce this blockade and we're, there won't be free travel between the two regions, but basically, we're not in charge over there anymore. This is your fucking problem. The the attack by Hamas was perpetrated in order to get Israel to uh, reveal their true nature, which is as a, a in the mind of Hamas and other uh, people who are sympathetic with them as a colonialist, evil superpower intent on wiping out. Despite the fact, by the way, that Israel at any point in the last twenty years could have literally leveled. Uh, the Gaza Strip, right? Uh, same thing in the West Bank. Uh, if they wanted to be the monsters that their uh, mortal enemies uh, truly believe them to be, they could have done that at any time because they are the most powerful military in the region and they have the support of every, basically every other meaningfully powerful military. Right, uh, but they in, would, I mean, they, they have the means to do that or they had the means to do that uh, over the years, uh, but they don't have the the political backing to do that. Like you would lose all support. Right. And so you, one could understand Hamas's actions as being attempting to give Israel the political will to right. do the thing that they are truly underneath motivated to do, which is to uh, kill all Palestinians, right? That, that, right? that would sort of be – that's the hope in Hamas is that they finally but get Israel to drop the mask. But that's the bin Laden scheme, right? I mean, the, the whole nine eleven was to, to an overreactive American. See, this government is a to, lot like nine eleven. Yeah, <laughs> like that. that the, the hope is like you'll come over the top and like it'll destabilize whatever your position is, and then like things will be undone and blah blah blah. But like, if you show some restraint, like I mean, couldn't they go in and? I mean, I'm making this up. I don't know anything about mil- the military, but like, 
go into regions of the north, you know, where they 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 supposedly have have cleared people of, uh, and like just degrade all of their inf- military infrastructure, whatever they're the cave stuff, you know, the underground stuff, do whatever to make it like set you back years, like whatever like. It was uh, they, they call it the Gaza Metro, which is all of the the tunnels that Hamas has built, right? Like I some mean, who knows extensive how that- series of tunnels under the city. Right. Who knows how many years that that that, that infrastructure plan uh, took, right? Like to develop, right? So if you said, I mean, that would be at least something you can point to. Say we did this, and we let's get the fuck out of here because like it would be impossible to deal with otherwise. Like if there was some sort of like, I don't know if that would be acceptable to people, but something to like we're in here to to make sure that they don't have the same capabilities that they had when they attacked, and then we'll try to come up with some other plan. Yeah, but what does that look like besides putting 150,000 boots on the ground? Like how do you accomplish that in a in an urban environment like they'd be going into besides right. the door-to-door fucking awfulness of of eradicating people who are hiding in their little hidey right. holes? Like I mean it's there's no good way to prosecute that sort of a war. There's no good way to prosecute any goddamn war. Right. All like I mean whatever. Like I don't know what it means that Israel has not yet uh, invaded in terms of ground forces, and I don't know what it's going to look like uh, two weeks or, or two months from now. Right. Uh, so we should probably just stop yapping about it. Um, right. Seems like also like it, when people remember like the war that they glorify, it's always like in defense. Like some other asshole did a thing. They came to your land and you pushed it. Like there was some sort of like get the fuck off me. Like and then that success. Like you know like oh the the Germans and the Japanese governments have attacked us and then like bomb them until they say enough and then that's that's that so it's like whenever there's like a defensive thing it you can find your way out of it yeah like with ukraine they have like an angle right like you came to our land and we need to push you off and then there's an achievable goal anytime you're doing a i mean one of these things where like you don't know exactly how this ends like you always get into i don't even know what's the last successful quagmire right usually it, you go in and then nothing happened and then you eventually leave i don't think they call those i love the idea <laughs> you change the name of the fucking podcast to successful quagmire no. that's quite the oxymoron i know i <laughs> uh, change my name to successful quagmire that is beautiful i i further don't know how you solve the problem of because i'm gonna like despite everything I will continue to read the New York Times. Yes. I will continue I mean, what, to read the, the Washington Post. Though? I mean, honestly, what are the alternatives? TikTok. Like if you, right? I mean, TikTok is not actual news. If you Google successful quagmire in quotes, <laughs> five results, and none of them are even it. This is success, Bob. Quick, do the domain thing. My, Get successfulquagmire.com. No, it's not a good one. I'm sorry. I, I like it as well, but it is not a... That is not a brand that resonates. For me, do it for me. When I fucking change my name and all of my identity to successful quagmire, do it before someone listens to this podcast. Yes. Oh, don't worry, listeners. <laughs> all right, Abe, uh, real quick, the NBA season starts today. That's right. Boo. It's already started. That's right. Games are underway. I imagine even what is it? It is ten ten on the East Coast. I imagine there are perhaps even some games have already wrapped up for the day. The uh, defending champ Nuggets have won. I uh, I read an article in the Athletic, which was entitled "Explaining NBA Rule Changes," 
And so I, I'm going through this. Uh, the first big thing that they talk about is flopping fouls. So they've now made it uh, uh, more of a punishment if you flop. In the, and a flop, of course, is, is the overacting of having been fouled. Uh, this is something that LeBron James has done a great deal of in his career. Is soccer like the originator of the flop? Like there was no other sport where there was some sort of benefit to flopping, right? They, and then it's I mean, migrated. I would think boxing with the with the Although, betting. <laughs> betting you got me isn't that? on the ground. Oh, like if you're trying to throw a fight yeah. or something? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. on the take. Oh, yeah. I know that's... what I'm talking about. I was, just, I was just trying to imagine a boxer benefiting in a in a in a financially. Fight. Right, right. Gotcha. That's uh, where it probably comes from. Right. But Maybe. Yeah, it's, it's, you're welcome. Now it's, in, it's now in basketball, but it's not in, in. There's no benefit in baseball. I mean, in baseball, I guess to pretend you got hit by a ball, but I mean that doesn't make any sense. Like, there's right. no other sport where you do that. Anyway, so I get through the like fine, good. Uh, try to clean up the flopping. Uh, they've 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 done no more rip through fouls, which is where the offensive player takes the ball and rips it through the defender's arms or or extended body in an attempt to say, "Look at the contact that this right. person uh, did to me in in the act of shooting." They'll try to uh, crack down on that. I sort of. I have trouble imagining how that's easily enforced. Uh, that one seems more difficult than the I, flopping thing. I've always thing. said, I mean, both of oh, these, you know, the, the flopping and the trying to draw a foul that, that actually did not happen. You're creating a foul to benefit from, right? So both right. of these are like low character moves. I always think the NBA should be a little firmer when it comes to this. It shouldn't be like whatever the ref identifies in the moment, that's one thing. But the NBA has the right – you know, 48-hour window after each game, and if they make a determination, you should get a conduct detrimental to the integrity of the league. Like, you are making a mockery out of our sport just so you can get, like, an extra point or something. Like, that's ridiculous. There should be some firmer, stiffer well, fine. The, the NBA has heard your complaints. They're going to fine offending players $2,000 if the flopping— That's not very much. That's not nearly enough. That's nothing. That's like a dinner for them. Like, come on. It's got to be something very <laughs> stiff, and then the, the second one is, like— like half a year, like it's got to be I something mean, would, serious. I mean, could they oh, wow. say that you have to like sit out of half or third? I don't know how base best. Yeah, that's not. An, it's it's, it's going to have to be something like, oh, they really don't want us to do this. Like you got to like disincentivize it in the extreme. The third time you get like banished for life. Banished for it's life. Got to be something third, like that. Three strikes, you're yes. dead. <laughs> yes, three strikes. Exactly. So far, those are both good, right? Uh, yeah. Try yes. to crack down on flopping. Try to crack down on the rip through fouls. Uh, they've added a second coaches challenge because they can do uh, replay review in the uh, in the NBA. More that's it's fine, whatever. Uh, and then they've also introduced this game minimum for major awards, such that if you don't play in something like sixty five games and at least twenty minutes in those sixty five games, then you can't you don't qualify for like the All NBA team and the uh, All Star team or something like that. By the uh, way. Oh- uh, presented as a group, these the, the three major things that you pointed out, like flopping, trying to draw a foul that you didn't earn, and like resting, like when you're not actually hurt, right? Uh, it reflects poorly on the NBA players, doesn't it? Like it's like you have to yes, institute all of these rules to say 
dude, we have this contract with TNT. People want to watch you, and you're sitting because, like, you didn't want to play a back-to-back, which is rare right. nowadays. And, like, what? Golden State only comes to your city once a year, and yeah, you go so, like, and you want to watch are... the Warriors, and then right. you get to the Atlanta Arena, and it's fucking Clay Thompson and Draymond and Steph are all taking the day off. Like, what are right. we doing here, guys? Yeah, it's like the sports is like an entertainment that's what product. baseball does. No, that's the thing. Baseball, they play 162 games. It's extremely common to play three, four, five, six days in a row. And most starters start that number of days in a row. And then, yeah, but like, not pitchers, not precious pitchers. No, <laughs> certainly not. Oh, they're so precious. <laughs> I worked yeah, yesterday. Really I need a week off. <laughs> This is a weird take of yours. I'm not going to comment on it at all. Uh, anyway, that's also sort of like game integrity, right? We're trying yeah. to make sure that the product <laughs> on the field is consistent and good. Right. Uh, that's that seems fine to me. I don't know if that that will work either because like they'll just they'll just Belichick the injury list more right. in all likelihood, right? But I mean, they're, they're starting to call out uh, players with their injury. Well, let's say that. You know, upper shoulder injury, you know, some random vague thing. And then they're like the next night, they're like, it's like a miracle, right? I don't know. LeBron, who plays out in Los Angeles, if he's on a back to back in Boston and New York and it's a meaningless game in terms of the standings, uh, I think that he comes up with a a pulled hammy or something that he needs to rest and it like won't, it won't count against his total or something like that. But yeah, to to be uh, clear, the NBA doesn't care about the, 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 the fans in the stands. They're, they're concerned about the games that are nationally right, right. televised, the, like the, the TNT games, yeah, yeah. the ESPN games. So they're basically telling them, like, there are opportunities to sit out. Don't let it be the Thursday night package that we've been promoting all week. Like, you need to play that game. Like, So, anyway, I'm halfway through this article, and, like, everything seems perfectly reasonable to me. And then there's this, this mini headline in the middle of the article. It says, in-season tournament. And I yes. said, in-season tournament? <laughs> What the fuck are you talking about? And I, I went on. Those those like three in words. China? The NBA will roll out its new in-season tournament featuring all 30 teams this year, handing out the NBA Cup for the first time on December 9th. The format is similar to that of popular international soccer tournaments. Is this a video game? Is my <laughs> thought as I'm reading this. There's a new mode in NBA? Nice. Like, like you picked up the video no. game. It's like you could play exhibition, you could play season, <laughs> or you can play Endless. mini in-season tournaments. The tournament will play out in two stages. First group play involving each franchise and then a knockout stage when the field trickles down to just eight teams. The group stage games will be held on Tuesdays and Fridays in November as the NBA divides teams into six groups of five teams apiece split up by conference. The winners of each group, along with the second place team with the best record in each conference, will move on. The quarterfinal games will be on December 4th and 5th in a team's home arena before the semifinals on December 7th and the final on December 9th at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. This is, before I get your take, first of all, I had no idea this was happening. That's how closely I follow the National (laughs) Basketball Association. This was completely new to me, like 1,000% a shocking development in the world of, of professional basketball to me. The guy who watches, uh, if he's lucky, like two finals games a year. Yeah. Uh, this is a terrible idea. What the fuck is even happening here? And and further, if this was the plan, 
Why in the world isn't the tournament wrapping up on Christmas, which is when the NBA season should start, which has been a long old take of mine. The NBA starts way too early. None of the games fucking matter. And uh, the playoffs are the only fun thing start kick off at christmas time but if you're going to have an in-season tournament have the big event game happen uh christmas Isn't eve there and christmas football day on christmas not necessarily yeah if, if it falls on you know a saturday or sunday it's a monday this year it, it isn't possible that this is a dry run for just your idea right so if you want the season mm. to start in the christmas window this if this uh early thing works out this will be like a nit kind of thing like a before the regular season starts, it'll be like an NIT tournament, um, and then some somebody will be crowned or whatever, and then the regular season will start, and then people will care, right? I don't know if that's what they're going for, but maybe that that's the general There's idea. nothing in this article, and I didn't explore further, that determines what it means to win the NBA Cup. Is there it's any— It's a money thing. So basically they're trying to induce the players to not sit out these games because the first concern was like— Nobody's going to play here. Gonna, the, 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 the bench is going to be playing because, like, who cares about these games, right? So they're trying to, like, uh, goose it up a little bit with, like, money. And, I mean, these people are, like, obscenely rich anyway. So I don't know how that's going to work. It's not like they, they can't give them that much money. So it's got to be something to where, like, oh, your pride plus half, half a million dollars. Like, is that enough? Like, those two things? And they're like, no, it's not enough. And, and they won't do it. But, like... I generally support any gimmick that tries to, like, you know, draw some uh, interest, you know, because the NBA season is long, and uh, for many months you could just, like, not watch it at all, and you will miss This is nothing. supposed to be, like, the ascendant premier sport, professional sport in the country, right? Like, we're, right, supposed, supposed, we're, to we're supposed to believe that the NBA is, uh, is, is going to surpass football, that it's become a more dominant cultural force than football, which is fuddy-duddies and white people, apparently, even though like that's just demonstrably ridiculous, um, that more young people prefer basketball. It's a younger, uh, browner, blacker audience and maybe less male-dominant uh, right. than football is, but that's not clear to me either. I'd I, have to see some more numbers on that. Right. I, I, not in I this think, house. I, I think the, 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 uh, the NBA's growth angle is like, mostly on the international front, right? Like, I mean, I think th- this this year, I think that this year's roster has the most international players ever or something like that. Right, right. To finish the, to finish the point, though, yeah. this is what we're supposed to believe, that they're this ascendant, and yes, also internationally ascendant sport. Uh, this is the most desperate fucking bullshit I've ever read any league doing <laughs> to try to generate interest. Like, th- I, I now fully believe that anything Adam Silver says is a weird lie. I don't believe any of the ratings. It all must be made up because this is, like, weird fucking bullshit that a bunch of, like, fifth graders would come up with as a way to try to figure out, like, how to have the coolest uh, three-man team in the neighborhood or something. It's so fucking lame that they're going to do a mid-season tournament that is just like a rent, essentially just a rent, like, oh, yeah, this game here, this right. this is part of the NBA Cup. Not the one right. that we play tomorrow. Right. That would be ridiculous. And I think that there may but, be some overlap, like, in the, like, they'll ca- some of the games will count towards, reg- like, it's some weird setup. I right, that's how. what I'm saying. It's not like there's, like, there's not a break, and right. it's like, okay, for the next the month, break. for the next month, it's just tournament games, because right. that wouldn't work, because these teams, like, 
you lose, right? right. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're out of the tournament right. and you can't just go three weeks in the middle of the season without playing. So they have to like intersperse it. So it's like, now we have a game that's part of the so-called tournament and now we do not. Also, how is this going to work with the fucking 82 game season? Like how, how is right. the, I mean, some crazy math and spreadsheet oh, work. They had no an algorithm do it. Went into figuring a, out how this can work in terms right. of the scheduling. And I'm One impressed at yeah. that level, but yeah. the rest of it just screams of desperation. Right. But you, you, if you're, oh, you know, I am uh, biased. I'm uh, always for any gimmick. You come up with a gimmick. I'm for it. Uh, and, and this is, does the content and quality of the gimmick not so matter at all? No, it doesn't. He said so, any gimmick. Right. And also, it this has all the hallmarks of a, a failed uh, uh, launch, right? Yeah, like it's going to fall apart. But I like the spirit of trying something new. So, like, if this falls <laughs> apart as many people <laughs> are expecting it to, try – like, you should have more ideas in the chamber. You're the most, you're the most deeply constitutionally conservative person <laughs> That I know, I think maybe, uh, not not in the way that your politics are reactionary and bad, but like you are sort of a fundamentally conservative person, and yet also living within the uh, complex conundrum no, that the, is the Abe personage is for yes other people. gimmicks. Also, all of the failed dead on arrival gimmicks. Let's see it. No, that's that's a good way to be. Where like you live your life the way you want to live your life. And you allow other people to live their lives yes. the way they want to live their right. lives. Right. He is risk averse for himself. Maybe it's but just can appreciate other people yes. being it is risk takers. Supreme confidence in the status quo. It's like, yes, bring on all the gimmicks, you fools, you monsters. The status quo will maintain no matter what. That right. is Abe's that is the the faith that Abe brings to the table. <laughs> Like uh, what I don't want is like this thing to fall apart. We say let's not, never try the thing again. Like I want a second plan, a third plan. We'll figure that out. Get tweak it just right. All right, that's that is the cast iron brains NBA preview. Abe, who's winning the NBA Finals uh, championship this year? The uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, they got Damian Lillard to go with that tall guy, Giannis, um, and and I think they are going to win this title. Gotcha. So there will not be a Nuggets uh, uh, repeat situation. No, no chance of that. There's also this very tall, lanky new player. Uh, He's probably going to be like the best player ever, like in two years. Wambanyana, whatever. He looks like uncomfortably like lanky, but like he's pretty good. All right. I want to read uh, one. No, it's it's time to talk about fun stuff, not read one thing. This is a fun stuff. Trust me. I read this last night. Uh, I didn't send it to you because this is this precisely the sort of thing that I would rather confront you with in person and get your immediate reaction to in the hopes that you did not already read the article. It comes from uh, the, the, the bad website, slate.com. The headline is The Hot Dogs and the Notebook, subhead, how David Sedaris, Sedaris, I keep saying Sedaris for yeah, some reason. Yeah, and you also say Iran instead of Iran. I say Iran, Iran, I say all sorts of things. I'm not the goddamn president. It doesn't matter how I pronounce it. <laughs> how David Sedaris turned me into one of his freaks. Uh, this is a this is a story. I don't want to read the whole thing because it's going to take fucking forever. It's kind of long. It's not going to take that long. This is the story of a person who was a young uh, college student at a time when uh, 2019 David Sedaris was uh, going on tour. 
uh, he's one of these people who he, if you don't know who David Sedaris is, he's uh, a, a personality, a public. He's an, a writer. Writer. I know sort him of, like exclusively from This American Life. I don't think I've read any of right, his stuff. The sort of person who writes uh, personal memoir. essays, memoir style things, and then goes on This American Life. His sister is Amy Sedaris. Yes, oh, also really? true. Oh, wow. Why didn't yeah. I make that connection? Wow. He writes about her. She's in, I mean, they grew up together. So she's in, back when I used to read, I would read David Sedaris. Uh, and sure. it was funny and it would make me happy. <clears throat> He's a funny gay. I mean, uh, it's just uh, it's just what he is. Uh, but it's also, that's not like super like laid on thick in his writing, just by the way. It is laid on thick in his uh, performance yeah, of himself. But it's not, I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah. Until he, like, in one of his books has a boyfriend. Anyway, Sedaris, in addition to being a writer and a public memoirist, is sort of a public personality. Like, he's a, he's just a, he's a guy in a way that... Like Mo Rocca. Like, it's hard to, it's sort of like Mo Rocca. He's... Fran Libowitz? That she, she, she makes rounds. Sure, right? sure, but not on the intellectual side of things, right? Like Fran Lebowitz is so you you associate as sort of a, a public intellectual curmudgeon. This this guy maybe like in the seventies would be a regular on Match Game or something like yeah. that. Like it's it's that sort of a public facing individual who just like does the talk show circuit right. and He's like just nice. That's their and career. Weird. Like John Waters. Right. Not quite a comedian, not quite a stand, certainly not a stand up, but he sells out a 2,000 person uh, local theater and gets a bunch of fancy rich people to pay 80 bucks a pop to, to watch him monologue for a, an hour and a half right. or whatever, right? David Sedaris tells weird stories about his life and about other people's lives. And what this article in Slate.com is about is about a guy who goes with his college friend to cover the performance of David Sedaris for their uh, college paper or magazine or something. They didn't have the money to get tickets, so they called David Sedaris's uh, uh, publicist and were like, hey, we want to cover this for our campus paper. Can we get tickets? And like so that a was press their pass kind of thing. Right, like a press pass, yeah. And they intended sincerely to write about it, right. uh, but also this was sort of their their ruse just right. to get a to get into the show for free. So all good, whatever. They go, they see the show, they have a good time. It's a it's a it's a fun thing, and they stand in line afterwards to uh, do a meet and greet with the performer with David Sedaris, as people are wont to do. They're still wearing their press hats, or are they now fans? They're standing in line as fans, uh, okay. as as let's just meet the guy, uh, sort of thing. Almost like you go to a book signing and you you try to get a book signed or whatever, right? Uh, <laughs> Not to be a stickler, <laughs> you came in under one context, like what? <laughs> now a fan, like whatever. I mean, they can the- they. <laughs> What did you want them escorted out? Like when when That's the allowed. when Come you on. go to a concert and you see the the music press who's there in the front row for the first three songs, and then some big bouncer like comes along and is like, "All right, enough of the photographers and the press assholes. It's time for you to leave now." Did you want them to be escorted no, out twenty I'll, minutes into the show? I want you to consume the product that you're reviewing and get the fuck out. But maybe again, I'm being a stickler and a little slut. No, that's, he wasn't. No, he being, wasn't standing in line in his capacity as no, a potential no, journalist. It was his right. friend who was standing in line. No, no, that is and clear. And also, the press pass doesn't get you 
priority standing in the line. Right, like right. you're just a person standing in a line. Right. Anyway, this is why we, we do this, because Abe has got the weirdest things to pick at. Uh, anyway, so they're standing in this line. They finally get to the front. And this is where I have to set up part of what Sidaris's show was about, which is that he does this bit, or at least used to do this bit, uh, where he would talk about how I don't know if it's because of my name. It's David. My middle name is an R. My last name. Maybe people think I'm a doctor. D R Sedaris. Uh, but but for some reason, people are always telling me about the things that they've gotten stuck up their butts. Right. And this is one of his gags where he talks about how uh, these fucking people come up to him in his life and tell him stories about how they got a flashlight stuck up their butt and uh, it was all an accident and no i don't know how the vaseline got on the flashlight but that's just what happened here right so he's got this whole long gag where he tells essentially amusing horror stories about things people got shoved up their asses and for some reason they have told david sedaris about them that's the framing of the joke is people keep telling me all of these things that they get shoved up their ass uh, by themselves, usually. And to be clear, it's it's not because he like wrote a book about things getting stuck up his ass. Like, it's, there's like a weird reason. There's no like clear reason. It's just one of those things. In one of the funniest sketches of the evening, Sedaris narrated the sorry circumstances of people who mistake him for a proctologist, presumably because his first and middle name initials form the title D. R. Sedaris. These hapless wobegons, blushing for shame from their anal curiosities, tried to fib Sedaris about the conditions under which they stuck objects up their anuses. One person he claimed said they fell on an aerosol spray can, leaving out unexplained how the can was spread with Vaseline. Another used a peppercorn grinder, and yet another a light bulb. Sedaris got his shock and awe from the audience right up to the squeamish climax. A frozen glass dildo that didn't survive the rapid temperature change from freezer to rectum and shattered inside its unfortunate host. All right, so that is the setup of this story. One of the most successful gags in the show is David Sedaris claiming that people walk up to him all the time and tell him about the things that they've gotten lodged up their buttholes, right? Okay. This guy is standing in line and gets to the front, and David Sedaris looks at him, Then he turned to me, alertly leaning forward in his chair. Did he expect me to entertain him now? I hadn't planned on saying anything to him except possibly nodding in gratitude when my date was done and ready to leave. But then a distant memory popped in mind. I blurted out, Your anal insertion stories gave me flashbacks to childhood. Sedaris's facial expression dropped. He looked horrified. Who knows where he thought I was going with my story? Rape? Incest? Molestation? Not quite. On cue, I proceeded to recount being around 12 with my anal insert of choice differing from every other hapless adult protagonist of his collection. You see, when I was 12, frozen hot dogs were a household favorite all to myself. And what else was an anal curious kid to do? I couldn't exactly go to an adult sex store or wait for my birthday to ask my parents for a dildo as a gift. What? Sidaris said, collapsing backward in his chair. You stuck a frozen hot dog up your butt? 
It wasn't pleasant, I said, conceding his point. I didn't tell Sedaris that my household dildo repertoire discreetly included whatever phallic food items I could find in the fridge. Besides hot dogs, carrots were the other main choice, with occasional futile attempts to insert a cucumber or the handle of a bathroom plunger. Sedaris was intrigued. Why would you use a frozen hot dog, he said. I now believe this was a rhetorical question, but in the moment I stepped back into my 12-year-old life, his question confused me. I wanted to set him straight. Because a frozen one is solid, I said, raising my pitch to an assertive, instructive tone. You can't stick a flaccid one up there. Sedaris's cackling guffaw was volcanic, punctuated by a series of coughs. I thought he might choke. He jerked his thumb toward the archways at the lobby exit. You should go check yourself into a mental asylum, he said. Then he whipped out the notebook, zigzagging his writing hand into it. He'd found a hot bet that couldn't lose. He then goes on... I'll stop reading now. He then goes on to describe how David Sedaris took notes, uh, wanted to get the precise verbiage correct from the way that this kid had just this this 18 19 year old college student had just described uh his personal anecdote about shoving stuff up his ass into his notebook he he did not further communicate with david sedaris he did not in that moment say hey that was between you and me please don't include me uh in any future shows right. about uh about this and then of course naturally as it turns out david sedaris took this uh anecdote as presented to him by the freak show at the show as yet yeah. another entry in the freak show in future uh versions of this story as told on stage the punchline is that the person writing this article uh, is very upset that David Sedaris did this to him, that he took his story about shoving frozen hot dogs up his butt and repurposed it uh, for his audience moving forward. And my question to you, Abe, is Is my reaction to this is, uh, is 100% in an anti-sympathy, in antipathy with the person who wrote this article and who is upset at David Sedaris for repurposing this personal anecdote, uh, am I am I wrong in so, any way? Okay, I have I had a couple of questions. I forgot one of them, but um, is this person actually upset, or they're saying that they're upset so that they can? This is basically the way in to talk about this story and work themselves in, right? Because like as you describe it. They are sharing this information to the person who makes a living in part by tell, retelling these kind of stories, right? So, like, what did you think was going to happen there? Then he takes interest in, like, the the detail of your story, and he takes out a notebook or notepad, takes down the information he needs to get the story just right because he laughed. Like, he got that reaction. He's like, I can use this. This is going on the show. Like the whole, I mean, right. he's not saying this, but like, I mean, the whole interaction, you telling him this, he reacting to it a certain way where it's obvious he's documenting it. It is implied that he's going to make some use out of it. I'm surprised that that made the cut. I mean, maybe when, 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 when you mentioned that this, this guy gets a lot of people coming to him with stories about things that they stick up their butt, like a frozen hot dog. I mean, I mean, it's a good story, but, like, worthy to fit into his, like, that, 
90 minute show like there's no other you saying, i mean it's a good story are you saying abe that the frozen hot dog shouldn't rise to the same level that's no, what he's saying no that's what he's saying don't the, the, it's the fine fr- the frozen abe, thing breaking do you in. have anything you want to tell us no, about <laughs> It says hot dogs are very vanilla. It's a good starting point. Anyway, remember those uh, bathhouses in the 80s? Yeah. But yeah, so, so th- this person has uh, no leg to stand down. And also, like, again, I, I refuse to believe that that's a, this is a sincere how could you. Like, the everything was tracking for... I'm going to use this. This is a great story. And like your reasoning as to why you stuck with the frozen and not with the, you know, I don't know, running some water over it or whatever uh, to, to make it flaccid. Like, like the whole reasoning, like this is great. And then like without him actually saying, I'm going to use this, he's telling you I'm going to use this. It's very clear. Also, if the issue is one of like, he doesn't want his uh, anal hot dog stories out in the world. Why would he write about it right. in Slate? Because no one knows about it. It's not like he's like this. Like, like you could I say, I Adam. told him a his story. Issue, his issue is around this notion of consent. His issue is around this idea that David Sedaris took something that was not his to take and and, and used it in a way that isn't fair to him, this individual who uh, hoped to be a writer someday and therefore perhaps thought that this anecdote that is uh, uh, specific to his experience was something that he owned and that that using it without permission is a violation of both his property and his privacy and not just not just that he is uncomfortable by the fact that uh, Sedaris is doing this anonymously of course it's not like he's identifying this person on stage or anything like that uh, but also that uh, it's a theft in some way in the NBA section where they were changing some rules you know they're the one where you're deliberately trying to draw a foul like it kind of sounds like that's what this guy is doing <laughs> right. like you're kind of creating a scenario to like oh how dare you it's like I wasn't daring. Like, you know what was going on. He had reached out to Sedaris, and Sedaris wrote back to him, At book signings, people tell me things specifically hoping I'll repeat them, or at least put them in my diary. I've run into folks I've written about, and so far no one has complained. Besides, he wrote, I don't always know what I'm going to repeat something that someone told me. I had my hair cut yesterday by a 20-year-old Russian barber who talked about his grandmother. Should I have gotten his name and contact information? Should I decide to mention him in an essay 10 years down the line? Sedaris concluded with the familiar fault line of these debates. What if I weren't a writer? Would I be allowed to repeat a story at a cocktail party? Are comedians allowed to repeat things on stage? How far do the ethics reach? Did my repeating your story steal it from you? Did it mean you couldn't write about it in the future? I supposed it didn't, because I am now. I followed up and said I preferred to reframe the question by asking not how far do the ethics reach, but how far the nonfiction writer reaches to obtain at least some form of consent from the sources that wittingly or unwittingly help construct the writer's stories. Sedaris didn't respond to that or other questions. I've seen many fellow journalists take the Sedaris approach, assuming anything a source tells them is fair game unless the source explicitly says at the time that this or that is, quote-unquote, off the record. To me, it's one issue to quote someone on or off the record. It's another issue entirely to take a story that isn't yours, using the source's wording or unique expression, and to profit from it, publish it, or publicize it without permission. It's fair to say Sedaris sees things differently. 
Uh, sidebar. Yeah. It's fair to say every sane person <laughs> on the planet sees things differently. People are going to go around uh, fucking talking about you when you tell them stuff, right? right. You do not own – I cannot make this any clearer uh, in any way. Uh, this is something that I, I use in the, prote- the pronoun conversation. You own none of the real estate in anyone else's brain. Right. I, I, you're a full human being deserving of dignity and respect and, uh, and all of the human rights that go along with that. But you get no you, – you, you are not permitted to make claim on the brain space of any other human being. Right. That, that would be a violation of those fundamental concepts that I just outlined that you yourself possess. Right. This is – Generally true, but also this guy went to the foreign objects in my rectum guy and told them a funny foreign object in my rectum story. Is he the – maybe I'm mixing it up. Is he the guy that did the under the guise of press like he came in or was that his friend? No, that's him, yeah. So, oh, okay, so he's done now two infractions that uh, – this guy is a low character. I, I, I have enough information. This guy is hey, I'm a- gonna. I'm not going to let you continue to insult this guy because there is, of course, uh, another paragraph, and oh. I don't want you to be seen to be punching down in he, any way. He's truth strikes him out already, but go ahead. As it happens, I am a teenage sexual assault survivor. That's another story. Sedaris appearing to be compulsively attracted to my story in this way felt like a violation of a certain order, aside from these unspoken literary rules, perhaps specifically because of the intimate nature of the tale. He couldn't have known that. He probably didn't notice how I froze in that moment, how I wanted to tell him to stop writing, but couldn't. He did what he does, and I just stood there. At any rate, he wasn't really looking at me anymore once he grabbed his notebook. He had moved on to the next venture. In the time since we had this exchange, Sedaris released a book, sparked a few mini-controversies online, and used his press tour to air his bemusement at annoying letters from his readers. Another leg of his live shows launched this month with more than two dozen locations scheduled before Thanksgiving. I have no idea if my hot dogs are still part of the material, but if you attend a stop, now you know where Sedaris finds his weirdos all around him, whether they're willing or not. So, your low character fella goes on to equate David Sedaris with a perpetrator of sexual assault in the closing paragraphs of this article. This isn't fun. This isn't fun. (laughs) So, uh, you know, there was a previous ruling and there was some additional information that's come in. Like, my ruling is confirmed. I mean, this is textbook. (laughs) This person, like, wherever I'm oriented he's the exact opposite like all the choices he's made uh strikes me as somebody who's uh of a low character i'm not it's unfortunate what happened to him in the past but that's got nothing to do with his low character which is low it's very low (laughs) yes all right so all of that granted right like this is a person who is confused about what it is to be in the world i think in some fairly obvious and profound ways that are obvious and profound, I think, to the vast majority of human beings, right? That, that the, the audience that is sympathetic to his position here in any way beyond the sort of freak show, pathetic 
simp like whatever whatever sympathy you can draw when you look at something that is pathetic yeah. uh, like like that's that's the that will be the overwhelming reaction right. to the even the the most humane in the audience is ah this fucking guy right. like ah like ah I feel he's bad but I just feel bad for him right like ah uh, he's got real issues uh, I don't share that concern <laughs> no no me neither fuck this guy obviously but like that is the that is the empathetic right. humane response to right. it perhaps Except apparently, at the um, bad online magazine Slate dot com, which published this with a straight face, right? Like that that puts it out there as though this is something that is worthy of conversation. I don't think anyone's driving the bus there. Are they trying to represent the world as it is, or as they want it to be, or are they? Like, and and maybe it's just oh man, this is going to get some fucking hate clicks. Uh, like to me, like that. This is Slate is not the sort of outfit that publishes this sort of thing unless they believe that the underlying thing that's going on there is is true or good or 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 that they sort of agree with the qualm that this person is raising, right? Like the right. the the heart of this editorial is probably the the editorial staff at slate.com believes that he is in the right here in some way or at least uh approaching it uh from some sort of a correct uh, fundamental understanding of the situation, like assuming good faith on the part of the of the slate editorial team, what does it mean that this person has a place to get has a has a high profile to get this article published? Does it mean anything, or is Slate just combing through their submissions list and it says David Sedaris, gay, sexual assault survivor, and uh, story to tell, and this this checks the right number of right. boxes? So we're going to pay him a four hundred and fifty dollar freelance fee yeah, or I whatever it is, it. and and that's the end of it. Right. Or does this represent some understanding about the world, about the way that the world actually works? That is in complete fundamental opposition to the way that I understand the world and and therefore is something that I should be concerned about at all. I, I think the most likely scenario in my estimation is that it, there are a lot of conflict-averse types and somebody writes uh, this story that, that they include something that has happened to them in the past that's like sexual assault. And they don't want to be the person to say, what the fuck are you talking about? Like this, there's no connection here, right? So like – it's easier just to to avoid any conflict to accept, and then also the point of like, oh, this is gonna there's gonna be some this is gonna draw some 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 eyeballs, some clicks, some engagement, all that stuff. So like, it does that, and then I don't have to say no to somebody who's like being vulnerable by sharing this thing that happened to them. Like I don't right. need that person, and I think like that's how these things kind of make it through. Because if you just kind of looked at it and like no, and then you got into trouble it wouldn't be worth it you'd just say fuck it let's publish this is this is perhaps a bit rich coming from the podcaster slash blogger type uh but uh noted not a fucking memoirist i i must make that clear at no point uh will i be a memoirist favorite thing you've ever written the things that happen to you the the events in your life the your your reactions to the world around you they are not uh marketable content first and foremost they are not you are you are not the things that have happened to you whether through your own volition or by the volition of others this is not a it is not a personality right this this is not the the, the things that have been done to you or that you have done 
and maybe it's just social media that has broken people's brains, but your life is not mo- it should or I, I recognizing the fact that it is in fact monetizable content yeah. uh, based on the world around us. Some people like that. It cannot be monetizable content. The way that you understand you as an individual human being cannot be about the fucking stupid anecdotes that you tell about yourself. You are bigger and more important than that. Uh, There's a fundamental dignity to you, the individual human being, that far surpasses whatever it is that you think that you are based on uh, the identity that you've crafted for yourself. And it's uh, you have this... You have this this paucity of understanding of of who you are as an individual if this is the way that you present in the world and the way that you understand the world. That is my that is my message okay. to let's see, Gab Chavone, who but wrote this in, at slate.com. In defense of this uh low character uh sort, uh you know, it is uh a monkey see monkey do kind of species, you know, humans, right? Like, so you see other people relate to the world by sharing things that have happened to them and then overcoming them or doing a thing. Like, I, I could see why he would want to present things in that way because that's how everybody kind of like online uh, oh, sh- sure. share stories. So the, like, oh, the incentive structure yeah. is absolutely there. You're right. not wrong about that. I can't, I can't believe we part. just did that instead of talking about Ghostbusters. I don't know what you mean. That was a fucking good time. It's almost eleven o'clock now. So oh we yeah, we started time. late though. This, see, to the rest it of the world, doesn't matter when we started. I we know. have to go to bed. I know, but to the rest of the world, it's just two hours of content. Oh, it's I not, don't care. It's not They're about not the Lori's ones in bedtime. real life dealing with you. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on uh, BrainIron.com, CastIronBrains.com. Almost slipped and said the socials. Don't do that. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig, tetramermusic.com, T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com. For more from him, send us an email, brainironpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to share your uh, podcast where you monetize your personal life experiences for we don't uh, monetize anything. the benefit I of monetize the rest of us. Things. I might say something to people who pay me. Abe, how was your weekend? I know at least three and a half hours of uh, your last week were spent in the movie theater. Uh, How did that go? Yes, I I went to go see Killers of the Flower Moon. I think last week I was talking about the book side of it and now the movie. Uh, The movie's good, not great because of how the story ended. Like There was like one part... In the book where I was like, I don't know how they're going to deal with this to see if Scorsese could stick the landing and he could not, maybe because he's old. I don't know. But like the choices that they made didn't really make that much sense. Um, But like, and and again, spoilers, whatever. Uh, But the movie, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio guy, he's like the the charming 20-something, even though he's like pushing 50. uh, And he's the nephew of this overbearing guy, like played by De Niro. And De Niro has a scheme of, like, the only way into the money that these uh, Native Americans have, although they didn't call them that, uh, is through marriage and inheritance, right? So, like, it's a, the scheme is marry in and then kill them off and then we get all the money, right? It's a nice, evil plan. Let's do it, right? So the, the, the main Native American character who marries uh, 
Leo's character doesn't know this, obviously. Like, it's like, oh, he's going to kill me. Let me marry this guy, right? So the movie plays out where the audience, we know the scheming. The wife does not know the scheming, right? So what happens is they need to do the killings in a certain sequence, right? Because basically the money comes from the, the parents, the mother, the, the husband, the, the father's dad. So the mother controls everything. And then when she dies, it'll go down to the four sisters, equally right so they're like we need to kill the three sisters and then the mother and then all of the money will then funnel to your wife and then we'll kill her hip hip hooray right but like the audience you know the scheming the and then one of her sister gets killed right oh how did that happen another sister gets killed then the then the third sister and the and and the husband get blown up like so all three sisters get killed uh poisoning shot to death and then blown up in their own home and then the mother she gets poisoned too poisoning back then they they didn't have the the tools to detect things so you could poison people with relative impunity it was kind of a nice system they had back then uh so the whole thing is happening and then the final leg of the plan is to then kill the wife of Leo, right? and in the movie there it's like oh he's kind of like conflicted he's kind of a dum-dum but like I kind of love her but he's still doing it He's still actively killing, like, extended members of the family. It's not limited just to this, this clan. It's like everybody's getting killed, right? And at the end, like, his daughter dies, and he feels bad about it. His daughter dies for some other reason. Just like, you know, back in the day, people died. And that, in the movie world, that's not how it happened in the books, but in the movie world, he's now thinking, what am I doing? This is all wrong. No more killing. And he confessed to his role. And in the book, this was the big... Because nobody knew. They're like, some outside elements have come in and, and they're starting to kill people. They didn't think it was these people who were married in, right? Uh, and this was the bombshell story in the book. But in the, in the show, in the movie, they do this whole scene. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, here we go. They're going to they're gonna do the big reveal. He's like, the lawyer is like, did you kill this sister? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I killed her. Uh, uh, did you kill that sister? Oh, yeah, my friend, we set it up to blow her up. Like, he's admitting to everything. There's no, like, you know, doubt or anything. He's explaining all the things he's doing. The wife is in the courtroom. They don't, like, cut to her. And then the, the crowd doesn't react in the courtroom. Like, oh, my God, this is supposed to be a big thing. Is this accepted as fact? And they have a, another scene where the wife confronts him, say, wait, wait, you were trying to kill me? Like, she was okay with all of the other mayhem, but she needed to hear it from him. You were trying to kill me too? Like, how dare you? We're divorced. And I thought that was a poor choice. Because it just it's like, it, it made her look like just like the biggest dummy. Like, what more information do you need? Like, this guy was killing everybody. Like, right. what do you mean you're, you needed to hear it from him? But gotcha. other than that, an entertaining movie. Didn't have to pee once. It was good. Oh, wow. Very good, Abe. Three and a half hours. Yeah. Solid. Is it, it will be nominated, no doubt, for the Oscar. Oh, yeah. Is it, uh, oh, yeah. is it beating, is it beating Opp- Oppenheimer? Um, I'm not, I'm sure they'll, they'll both be nominated, but, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Gotcha. Uh, anything else this weekend you want to get off your chest here? Yeah. So I, I, they brought back the, uh, the Halloween parade in a little, uh, area here. I don't know. It's been a couple nice. of years. There were some, reasons why they didn't have it the, with the virus um yeah. and this is i mean i've gone to a few of them like over the last like 10 years just like it's like a bike ride away just kind of pop in and pop out uh, and every year they have like one too many like waves of groups where it's like overtly like political i don't know if this is how it is like mm. 
in the country bunker places, but like ten years ago, there was like one thing, and it was like kind of like a issue advocacy thing, like vote, right? And then the right. next year, there's like one other thing that's like slightly less issuey and more like party. And then now there were like six kind of waves of like, ah, oh, the Supreme Court is this, and then like. Like to be clear, this is not this is not people wearing Halloween costumes no. making fun of activists. No, such as such as people complaining about abortion or whatever. It is in fact people just complaining about abortion. Right, and among uh, many right. other things, I, I forgot to keep, the the cop city stop cop. Like we have some local police thing here in Atlanta where they're trying to prevent right. the building of like this training center that they that's dubbed cop city. There's like a, a bunch of people about that. It was like. We've the first yeah, we've minutes. almost ta- I think we've almost talked about that like a dozen times over the last two years or so, but right. I just never well, cared enough to bring Israel it up. Talked about Israel twice in two weeks. So. <laughs> but basically, it, it was like if the, I didn't stay for the whole thing. Let's say it was a two-hour parade or like ninety-minute parade. It was like the first like twenty. It was like so much. And this is a very friendly. You know, they're welcoming to all. Like there was no like issue where it was awkward or whatever. And right. Everybody was into whatever they were pushing. But it was very weird that it was like it took a larger segment than in years past like it was like way yeah, it doesn't not everything has to be everything right. everyone right. like you don't not everything has to be fucking politics there can be a halloween parade that's just a halloween parade and, and, and things don't have to link and connect and this, all this is the my same main thing either my main hope uh with running the stupid pta this year is to make sure that we are not in the business of trying to save the goddamn world right. and like <laughs> anything that comes up that relates to the PTA trying to save the goddamn world, right. my reaction is going to be, no, no, no. We we collect monies in order to like buy uh, dry erase markers yeah. for the classroom so that the teachers don't have to do it, and we're not going to save the world. We're not going to end racism. We're not going to... Uh, solve homelessness, right? Right. None of those things. <laughs> Certainly not with that attitude. None of those things are in the uh, purview of the parent-teacher organization at the local elementary school. You should uh, draft and, a uh, mission statement that's very like to the point, and then it doesn't need to. There are only two other members. Oh well, even it'd be even more obnoxious. Create the mission statement, print it out. Somebody brings up some other issue, just say good point, but we're going to focus on this here. Right. Just taps the <laughs> tap sign that that will not not here to save the world. Uh, it's, we're gonna have the chicken fundraiser, and it's gonna be fine because we're not here to save the world. We can solve none of the problems right. except the problem of getting enough money uh, so that the kids can go on the apple orchard field trip this year. That's it. Right. That's what we're gonna do here. <laughs> Uh, let's see. We watched Ghostbusters. We watched uh, Ghostbusters, the the first movie, the the original. With the children. With the kids. Not the first time uh, it I being... think it, right? They've, they've seen it before? The kids? No, they'd never seen no. Ghostbusters no, before. No kidding. How did they take it? They liked uh, they, it. They liked it. They thought it was real funny. They and thought that the CGI was terrible. Yeah, they complained about, they said, that doesn't look real. Uh, like, no, it doesn't look fucking real. It was, it was like fucking 40 years ago. Of is course that it doesn't first, look real. Uh, such criticism, like from that, era, like late 70s, early, like 80s, like any of the movies that they've seen, have they, is this the first complaint about like this? Yeah. So they saw Star Wars, the original Star Wars movies young they enough so young. that they became accustomed to them in the same way that we did. And like, uh, so those are fine. But like the, you know, when the dog thing goes leaping across four lanes of traffic in ghostbusters katie's like that doesn't look real that doesn't look real it's like no you're right it doesn't look real 
Um, Lots of adult stuff in that movie. There's a lot of adult stuff in that movie, and also, uh, much to my uh, relief and uh, sort of pleasure, my children both found Bill Murray to be very funny. Now, obviously, Bill Murray is very funny, but, like, it's not... he also ha- brings a certain sort of an attitude and uh, idiom to his comedy that isn't for everybody necessarily. And it's a relief to see that both of my children found Bill Murray to be uh, highly entertaining and funny. Uh, that bodes well for them and their, their future uh, uh, senses of humor. It's good news. And, of course, it's a, it's a just fucking tremendous movie. It's such a wonderfully well written, uh, well written movie and well executed and uh, and very silly as well, of course, but but still very well done. I think I still uh, have not watched that. We one. watched some music videos, some y- boys to men music videos. Yeah, for some reason, Lori watched like a dozen straight '90s R and B sex videos. Bob was watching videos. his phone. He was watching his phone, not paying any attention to me because he was sick, but wouldn't say so. So that's What's, just what uh, happens. Dedicated uh, was like an MTV like boys to men. Channel no, or? I chose them on no, YouTube. She, she on his sought YouTube. them out on my YouTube. On his account. <laughs> so now that YouTube knows, ruining that he just the wants YouTube algo for me. <laughs> yeah, that's what he gets. That's my YouTube algo you is all fucked up. Don't pay attention to me on one of my only times off. That's it. Uh, let's see. We're also watching the Great British Bake Off on mm-hmm. uh, on Netflix because that's. But he falls asleep <clears throat> during the episode. I, I can't. I, I enjoy it, but it's a very soothing yeah, show as reality television goes. Two hours later, playing video games, and then he gets. Well, sick. I had a nice nap during the Bake Off, okay. and so then I can stay up and play I'm my just Pikmin letting, Four I'm game. letting your listeners know what you're like. Are, yeah. uh, is there any failure on that show, or are they all kind of good? Every episode. Well, I guess not every episode. They yes, could, lots of failure. There's plenty of failure. They're just not mean about it. They're not oh, like nice. cruel. They're all like. They all root for each other. And they're not really... And and the show itself isn't always constantly trying to, like, re-up itself and reinvent itself, unlike your stupid Survivor, which I've not seen a moment of Survivor since... How dare you? This season has been great so far. All I know about Survivor is, like, now they're fucking 90 minutes. (laughs) It's like you're getting 50% more Survivor. Because of this extra time, extra runway, they now have brought back what I've been saying for many, many years, bring back the intro theme that they got rid of because of one more commercial or whatever. So now the show starts properly. I can see all the names because I forget every week to see who's – oh, yeah, that's the one in the Yellow Tribe. Okay. See, it, like, it, it, it serves a, a purpose. By the way, totally uh, random, but I ran into a, uh, a the Survivor fan like here in Atlanta – and uh, he was like, oh. I definitely didn't. I definitely didn't seek this person out on the internet. No, that's not what happened. I, I he I, I forget how we came about, and we talk about the the show, and uh, like he's got like a pod- how many how many Survivor novelty T shirts do you own, Abe? Just that you one. walk around the city with? Just the one. Just the All one. Right. How dare you? Just the one. Uh, Anyways, this person, you know, because everybody has a podcast. Uh, he had a some popular Survivor podcast, and he gave me a, a shout out in, in a recent. Oh episode. my god! Oh, so now look you. At you. <laughs> so, <laughs> podcast number is there three. A non, is there a non-zero chance that you're going to guest on this podcast <laughs> at some point in the future? Uh, did you tell him? Did you tell him that you're a veteran of uh, of the podcasting industry I yourself? Mean, seriously, I did not, you are. I did not volunteer that information. 
Oh, you fucking coward. <laughs> you fucking coward. That's like, we can't we also watched be, a lot of football. I love how you're perfectly willing to be identified in public as a, as a survivor enjoyer, but will not even own up to the fact uh, that you... Uh, you don't either. We don't have any apparel, though. If I was wearing the cast iron brains apparel, maybe somebody will show up and say, hey, <laughs> big yeah. fan. Oh, anything else? Did we do anything we else? We watched a lot of football. We watched a lot of really uh, like exciting football. Yeah, there was some good football, wasn't there? Like good, good, um, exciting was, football that we didn't care about. There was one like point my on, favorite kind. on Saturday evening where I think five games were tied. Yeah, we yeah. only had one TV up because Bob is not doesn't care about me apparently. Yeah, is currently. Uh, the top of the ninth inning in Philadelphia, Arizona leads four to two with two outs. Uh, so we're uh, shortly heading into the so bottom of the ninth. So we can't go to bed yet. I mean, I'm not going to be able to go to bed yeah. till this game is over. We might as well just chit chat. Lots of fun baseball here. Uh, the no, there isn't. The Rangers and you the you have been in a bad mood for a week because of baseball. Look, I'm sad that the Braves lost. Obviously, that is the case. However. Uh, going into the National League and American League Championship Series, it looked like the nightmare scenario was going to happen, which is it was going Astro to be the Phillies. Phillies and the Astros again, which are two <laughs> hateful, hateful teams. Yes. Uh, instead, the Astros lost in seven in a American League Championship Series in which the home team did not win a single game. Uh, and the, the Houston Astros have lost, I think, nine uh, playoff games at home in a row, which is just incredible. They had a losing record, like a significantly losing record at home this season. It's like the the obviously curses are are not real, but uh, this is they a team. Are. This is a team that cheated at home with the the assistance of a giant uh, oh, trash, the can. trash can. They would right. bang on the trash can to alert their players uh, what pitch was coming. This is the curse of the trash can. Is what's going on but here? But to be fair. Didn't they? They've won since, right? Yes, yeah. they did. They did. Anyway, here we are. That's one out in the bottom of the ninth. The Arizona Diamondbacks are two outs away now from advancing to the World Series against the Rangers. But it's the it's the bottom. This would be. What's happening? Have the Diamondbacks ever won? I mean, they were in the World Series at one time. No, they've never won. Never, and the Rangers, the, the Rangers wait, have never wait, won either. Wait, 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 wait. The Diamondbacks won in 2001. Yeah. Yes. They, beat they beat the Yankees, Yankees in 2001. Yeah. It's a core memory of mine. Yeah, Diamondbacks beat uh, the, Yankees. the Yankees in 2001. Yeah. I think that was – I've told this story enough to not remember the exact – but I haven't told it in a long enough time to remember the exact quote. But the night that the Diamondbacks beat the Yankees – I was watching it in my dorm at Creswell, and the moment that it happened, a loud cry rang across from somewhere deep within the halls of Creswell, someone shouting that the Yankees can suck my fat southern cock, I believe. <laughs> we told this story on this quote. podcast. That's why we, I keep saying it's a core memory. It's where I first learned uh, I'm sick of the fucking Yankees because my boyfriend's roommate who is from alaska no yeah. no affiliation the diamondbacks won and he like opened their apartment door and like shouted glee into the region and right. i was and and my boyfriend was like sort of a yankees fan but fuck him and 
he was like, why are you so happy? And Dave just went, because I'm sick of the fucking Yankees. And that like that sat so well with me. It felt right. It was like that. That makes I'm sick of the fucking Yankees. And this is that not works. like modern day Yankees. This is like what they had won four. Like, Literally two thousand one. Like, yeah, it's like, fucking. Yeah. They were doing all right. Well, and like post nine eleven, you know, it's like New York and wants it was like the win. Really post, right? It was like in the months after, right? Was that the one that that got pushed into November, like? Because of the yes, they it were because they, they took a week off after nine yeah. eleven or a few days off after nine yeah. eleven, and then had the the Mike Piazza Mets Yankees game that was such a big deal. Uh oh, uh oh, this could go out. Nope, warning track power two outs in the bottom of the ninth now. Oh man, it's so good that this is in Philadelphia. In Phil- All these yeah. fucking people are gonna have to eat shit. It's gonna be so good. Uh, it's so good. The Rangers have never won the World Series. The Diamondbacks, as we said, won in 2001. These are not... Neither one of them were particularly good teams in the regular season. And... And that doesn't matter, does it? It it really doesn't matter. Uh, There's been a lot of calls, complaints about the... Uh, Major League Baseball playoff format because... From our house. Yeah, in part from me. These 100-win teams this year, as we've said before, all went out, and now we're stuck with the Rangers who didn't even win their division, right? The Astros end up claiming home field advantage on the final day of the season uh, on a a tiebreaker against the Rangers, and it ends up costing them because they play so poorly at home. Uh, Irony here being that they would have been better off seeding home field advantage possibly to the Rangers and and would have perhaps advanced – as the as the visitors again i've maybe it's because i'm fucking old and lame but they're never going to fix the playoffs in a way that is satisfying to me so i've come to terms with the fact that like the playoffs are just this weird tournament at the end of the baseball season and it doesn't really relate to crowning the best baseball team and like that's a bummer but we're never going to get it back to where how is that different than basketball well but they're they're different sports there are fewer, you know, the, the 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 best team in the regular season going on to win the title is a lot more frequent in the NBA. Like baseball is almost a crapshoot; it's just like a snapshot. But why of- it, fix one of them? Why is it? Is because a seven-game series in the NBA gives you a really good idea of who the better team All right, is. So then they should the, make the playoffs instead of There's a really good claim to be uh, or or argument make them to be play made each other for a month straight. Yeah, that the major league that the World Series should be like a best of 11 or a best of 15 th- or something I mean, crazy like that. I mean, honestly, they already had the answer but for money reasons that they're adding you, you have a very strong sample size of 160 whatever games right i don't know if they're ever going to bring it down to well 154 but like you have so many games over like five months right you don't need to have a play-in game and a wild card like all those bums like that are not going to be in the world series you have not uh, demonstrated that you're one of the best teams right throughout the five months of play except that they won when it mattered and now they're three outs. It's the end. Phillies yeah. lose. <laughs> Phillies lose. And yeah, so like you have how many hundred Who wins to your show? Orioles, a, Braves, is it Dodgers. I don't know. Yeah, if Brendan. A, Brendan can eat shit. Brendan, uh, no, that's not nice. No, Brendan's a nice guy, but Brendan can eat shit. All those Philly assholes can eat shit. Is it just Brendan <laughs> that's sad? I feel sad for him. And Nick. Nick can eat shit. Nick. No, I'm sorry. I, I feel less sad for Nick because I didn't talk to him as much at Eric, Eric's wedding. Andrew's yeah. wedding. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. 
that uh, that feels good in a in a in a way that's probably bad and speaks ill of me as no. a human being. Uh, <laughs> Although I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if if you don't, if if neither like the Braves or the Phillies, it's like okay, you made it one more round, but you didn't really do much. You didn't yeah, and the that. Braves won over a hundred goddamn games and had one of the had had arguably the single greatest offense in the history of the sport uh, over right. the course of 162 games, which is uh, and it was a uh, fucking a whole lot of fun to watch the whole time. So good stuff. Abe, have you uh, got anything else for us tonight? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight then, and we'll talk to you next time. Later. <laughs> My brain just broke. You uh, sound you, like you have a stuffy nose. You should blow your nose. I don't have a stuffy nose. Okay, well, you sound sicker than you did earlier. Yeah. The first symptom is always denial. Yeah. No, he's been sick. He's been sick. Not, it, it's, it's so annoying. Uh, I'm getting over it at this point, if anything. Mm. <laughs> not quite over it. I pretended... To not be sick for a few days, and now I'm back on the on the, on the rebound from my not quite pretend sickness. Um, it's 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 like the highest form of gaslighting <clears throat> when someone is obviously sick, and they're like, "No, I'm fine," but then they're in a really shitty mood and don't want to do anything. If I pretend that I'm not sick, pretend I- better. Be I- better. I won't be, be a as pleasant sick. person to be around. Anyway. USC USC lost to Utah in the closing moments. Yeah, cost me, that was good. Cost me a goddamn parlay. <laughs> I guess it's just there's always there's always the one. Their uh their 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 head coach, I think Lincoln Riley, like seems like he's already trying to leave. like he seems like he goes to a team like he went in Oklahoma like and he doesn't do anything and then he just fails upwards and now like after like this He's like that Lane Kiffin. Yeah. And, but now he's like I, I'm hearing reports like, oh he may just go to the NFL. It's like how is he going up? Like it doesn't make any sense. He goes from like one great also isn't he getting paid like $10 million yeah, dollars a year a to shit. be at USC? Yes. How much – why would you go to the NFL if you're getting $10 million at USC? You'd right. be out of your goddamn mind. Yeah, there's so much more stability. No, we didn't even talk about it. all of Trump's lawyers saying they did crimes. No, you talked about Israel for an hour again. <laughs> And said nothing new. I don't think we didn't say anything new. We said interesting things. The uh, drumming up of like uh, legal funding uh, only to plea is uh, is quite the move. Like there was one of the lawyers. It's like, hey, I need help. She raises like two hundred thousand dollars, and then she's like, hey, I'm guilty. I did. I did all that. Right. It's like, <laughs> what, you, what about the money we gave? The proceeding was created with 100% human content.